in the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. This episode of the Paracast is brought to you by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 75,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, including fiction, nonfiction, and periodicals. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash Paracast. That's audiblepodcast.com slash Paracast. And now, on with the show. Hey, welcome, neighbors of the Paracast. We've got a fascinating, incredibly interesting theory to present to you later on when we bring on our other co-host, Nick Redfern. But right now we have Chris O'Brien. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Paracast. And we know over the past week or two, Chris has been a busy little trickster. Oh, I have. Indeed. Now, you went back to Colorado to do some work, but before we go into that, maybe refresh our listeners' memory. How did you get involved in looking for strange goings-on in Colorado? Well, uh, I moved uh, to the San Luis Valley, which is in south-central Colorado, in 1989, with a peripheral knowledge of some of the pretty amazing sighting waves of UFOs and uh and, of course, it is uh, acknowledged as the birthplace of the publicized cattle mutilation mystery. Uh, back in 67, our first case occurred there, our first publicized case. And uh, about two years into my uh, move, I just innocently got involved in investigating uh, a series of very riveting reports that were um, uh, seen by quite a number of people that lived in my little town. And I just started writing an article for my little local paper. And I was on national, uh, a national TV show within two months. And, and it just was a snowball going down a hill. And since 1992-93, I've logged uh, about, I think, somewhere around 1,000 verified documented reports with, uh, with a you know, set of data points and been told just thousands of, of stories from the past about uh, events that occurred there. And in 2002, I elected to move there because we were having a 1,000-year drought, and I just couldn't take it anymore. Uh, the San Luis Valley, of course, is the world's largest alpine valley, completely ringed by mountains. It's radar invisible below 18,000 feet and has quite a uh, esteemed place in Native American lore and in the annals of ufology and in terms of the documented reports there. And I have had on the back burner for quite a number of years the idea of setting up a a um, very uh, extensive surveillance camera setup around the valley. And I'm happy to report that we finally got the first of, uh, of what will be seven cameras uh, arrayed on cell towers and mountaintops around the valley. And we do have our first, uh, <laughs> our first camera up. And, of course, wouldn't you know it, within the first four or five days, we've, had, uh, we've been averaging about a, an un- unusual event per day that's been uh, seen on the uh, system. Of course, we are. Okay, okay. Now- Define unusual event. Well, unusual anomalous uh, objects. Uh, the first report that we had actually was the day, the first morning after the camera had been set up. One of our team members was in the in the process of setting up a recording setup so that we could uh, record twenty four seven all the all the visual data from the camera. And he happened to see what he described as two hum- flying humanoids fly right across the great sand dunes, and <laughs> it was uh, a little disconcerting uh, to him. He zoomed in on the objects uh, one was leading the other by about 100, 150 feet. And uh, he said they, they weren't birds. They were definitely like what appeared to be legs hanging down and some sort of apparatus uh, that was on, on their backs. So 
they cruised along and he he was dumbfounded. He could have hit the capture button and taken a still shot of it, but he was so just was not expecting to see something just the first time he actually tuned into the camera image. So now is the camera are, image hooked up to some kind of recording mechanism? Well, he was actually in the process of setting up the recording uh, Wouldn't you mechanism know it? when he saw that. Yeah, of course. But since then, we've already had several other reports that have been uh, or sightings that have been recorded. So I, I have been kind of gently reminding the team to get ready because I have a, a sense that maybe one out of a hundred events that are actually occur in the San Luis Valley ever really get mentioned to other people. I think we're going to have uh, daily activity recorded on this particular you know, camera. So I, I'm real excited about it. Uh, if our listeners would like to go see this camera, um, our initial uh, streaming webcam video is on mufonoc.org forward slash slv.htm. That's where you can go to actually see the live, live uh, image of this uh, first camera. Let me ask you a question here. So in setting up these cameras, do you actually go to the local authorities to get permission to lay these on cell towers? Uh, no, I go to the people that own the cell towers. <laughs> okay, so you're going like to AT&T or Verizon or one of those people. Well, no, I have a, the, the local, uh, some of the local tower owners um, have uh, graciously not only granted me permission to uh, use the towers, but they've also uh, been very instrumental in uh, creating internet accessibility and maintenance, uh, you know, uh, possible maintenance if we need it. And it's an exciting project. I think it's not the first monitoring, UFO monitoring camera project, but by the time we get done with uh, very sophisticated software that's going to be able to, you know, identify events, identify um, um, particular objects and then triangulate with multiple camera images on a single single object or objects. I don't think that that has been accomplished before. So this is pretty exciting. This is groundbreaking stuff. I, I think this is a real definite step forward in the field uh, of hard data, uh, UFO information, and, uh, and monitoring a, a hotspot area such as the San Luis Valley. Chris, about what you've done so far, you said that some events have already been captured. So are there recordings of this that we could look at? Um, yes, there are. I'm not sure how we're going to make these uh, clips, these individual clips uh, available. We're still working out a process of how to get a consistent setup for logging these events. And then we haven't really decided how we're actually going to present these individual clips uh, to be peer reviewed, if you will. Uh, but that is definitely something that we're going to have uh, set up here in the next couple of days. Um, by the time, of course, this broadcast uh, airs, we'll, we'll probably have that all finalized. And uh, we want to be completely transparent. We want to present all these images. We're not making any claims on, on these events, but we sure would appreciate uh, any and all feedback uh, and analysis on some of the events, <laughs> the many events that we're going to be capturing. We know we have some people in our forums at forum.theparacast.com who are skeptical. Oh, yeah. As you know. That's okay. I like healthy, open-minded skeptics. Speaking of developments, now, you've been working with Ray Stanford about getting a digital audio copy of this recording of this UFO encounter he had a number of years back at, near White Sands? Yes. Uh-huh. So where do we and stand Ray, with that? Well, Ray has gotten the equipment. I just need to set up a time so that we can go ahead and uh, get him up to speed on how to actually go through the process of digitizing analog uh, tape recordings. And uh, Ray's, Ray's still, uh, he's set and ready to go. Unfortunately, I've been otherwise engaged here the past, uh, geez, almost two weeks. So I got a little bit behind the eight ball on this particular project, but 
But yeah, rest assured, we are going to be posting that. Plus, Ray wants to post uh, additional visual data from other uh, sighting events and, and, and stuff that he's, he's accumulated over the years uh, for uh, people to have a look at and comment on. I'm sure it'll raise, uh, raise some eyebrows. That's over at forum.thepowercast.com in case you want to check it out. And if you forget the the, by the way, if you go to forum.powercast.com, well, we own that domain too now. I got it for a song. Yeah, we got powercast.com finally. Nobody else wanted it, so they gave it to me for practically nothing because that's all all I could afford to pay. Anyway, before we go on here, we've got a really fascinating show this week. Oh, boy, dude. Fasten your seatbelts, listeners. Oh, this is going to be a ride, folks. What a ride. Now, one of our other co-hosts, Nick Redfern, is one of the more prolific writers in the paranormal field, and he's got something here, which is a book called Final Events. And the title, the back cover, has this title, What You Really Don't Want to Know About UFOs. (laughs) So basically, (laughs) we're going to ask Nick Redfern, author of the new book, Final Events, What You Don't Want to Know About UFOs. Oh, boy. I'm Gene Steinberg. (laughs) (laughs) Our co-host is Chris O'Brien with Nick Redfern joining us after the break. You're in the Paracast. As you know, the Paracast is brought to you by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks. With more than 75,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature and featuring audio versions of many New York Times bestsellers, for listeners of the Paracast, Audible.com is offering a free audiobook to give you a chance to try out their service. One book to consider, for example, is Above Top Secret, the worldwide UFO cover-up by Timothy Good. Timothy Good, as you know, has been a guest on the Paracast. Yet another book worth considering from Audible.com is Lies and Deception, UFOs and the Secret Agenda, from Timothy Good once again, and also from our old friend Nick Pope. As you know, Nick Pope has also been on the Paracast. This is another book that you're definitely going to want to check out. For this book or another free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash Paracast. That's audiblepodcast.com slash Paracast. Gold. It's like nothing else on Earth. From the Romans through the Renaissance, from the Industrial Age to the Space Age, gold has weathered the test of time. For 6,000 years, gold has remained the ultimate store of wealth. According to the World Gold Council and the U.S. Mint, demand is at an all-time high. The stage is being set for the reemergence of gold as the common-sense alternative to a fiat paper currency that gets weaker every day. Midas Resources is proud to offer the hard-hitting report that arms you with the truth you need to protect you and your family from the Fed's plans for your hard-earned money. Don't gamble with your future. Call Midas Resources today and ask for your free copy of As Good As Gold. Call 1-800-686-223. For the report the Fed hopes you'll never see. As good as gold can be yours by calling 800-686-2237. If you have ever thought about owning gold, you must read this report. Call Midas today at 800-686-2237. 
and confusing times. Would a simple outlook on health and beauty make sense? If you're tired of taking dry vitamins without noticing any results, then the Bogdana Nutritional Formula is for you. Easy to take and absorb. The absorption of liquids is 98% in comparison to only 20% for dry vitamins. For the past 25 years, Bogdana Rejuvenating Nutritional Formula has been proven to get results. Detox, nourish, and rejuvenate your body with this one-of-a-kind supplement that contains 150 natural and organic nutrients. And a one-month supply is less than a dollar per day. Take charge of your health and feel the difference with Bogdana Liquid Vitamins or your money back. Go to B-O-G-D-A-N-A liquidvitamins.com or call 1-800-234-5608. That's Bogdana Liquid Vitamins.com or call 800-234-5608. Give your body what it needs and it will perform miracles in return. For inner health and outer beauty, feel the difference with Bogdana Liquid Vitamins today. Less is more. I want you to think of Life Change Tea as, well, a 2008 Ferrari 612. The Ferrari 612 is a two-door, four-passenger luxury car that gives an exploding 540 horsepower through its 6-liter V12. It has a top speed of 199 miles per hour and can accelerate 0 to 60 in about 4 seconds. Life Change Tea will accelerate your life into feeling more energy, losing weight, and cleansing toxins out of your body so you'll live longer. And guess what? You can accelerate your life without a Ferrari 612 sticker price of 318000 you can buy green tea for less, but unfortunately, it's just another daily driver with no performance. So for just about a dollar a day, you can drive the Ferrari of teas. Don't be fooled by size. Check our website out at getthetea.com. That's getthetea.com. Or you can call us at 928-308-0408. Again, that's 928-308-0408. Remember Life Change Tea. Tired of searching for great talk radio? Search no more. I just want to hear more of it. We are the GCN Radio Network. We want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. Get in on all the action at forum.theparacast.com. Our special guest is one of our co-hosts, who's a prolific author, Nick Redfern. His new book is called Final Events. And if you look at the subtitle, I'm the secret government group on demonic UFOs and the afterlife. This is going to be a wild ride, neighbors, so stay with us. Our co-host is Chris O'Brien. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Paracast. And I'm going to ask you, Nick, okay, mm-hmm. final events. What attracted you towards doing this research and writing this book? Well, unlike most of my books where, you know, I've, I've done my own first-hand research initially and then stumbled upon a story, you know, as I'm doing something and thought, well, you know, this, this sounds like a great idea for a book. Final events was very different. What actually happened was that the whole thrust of the book began... Uh, Not for me, but for somebody else, a man named Ray Boucher, who is a former Mutual UFO Network state director for the state of Nebraska. And Ray lives in uh, Lincoln, Nebraska. And he's been, or he he worked with MUFON for a number of years, but he's also an Anglican priest. And he was approached in 1991 by two people who I can best describe as kind of like deep-throat sources from within the Department of Defense who were working as physicists on a project which essentially was designed to try and contact 
what many people would call the greys or aliens, but they, they titled them as non-human entities or NHEs. And the idea was to see if we could, I guess, liaise or even come to like a pact in, in simplistic terms with them to understand their and harness their mind powers and this being the military you know inevitably convert them into weapons of literally psychic assassination and things like that i read a little bit about ray's story a few years ago when it was briefly mentioned in literally like two pages of a book about 15 years ago and it's always sort of been in the back of my mind to contact ray and i've always forgot to do it and then about four years ago i thought well you know why don't i go and do this and speak to Ray and see what he's got to say and see, you know, what sort of story there is here. And little did I sort of know it at the time, what began as a brief telephone conversation about 2006 turned into, in 2007, this huge extensive interview with Ray where he sort of basically told the entire story that, that set me on the trail for the corroborative story, I suppose, that appears in the book. So in other words, you know, this, this was actually me getting the direction for somebody else who'd been approached by elements of this group prior to me actually looking into the story, and in Ray's case, like 17 years before. Okay, so the group is called? Well, the group's called the Collins Elite, but it's, it's not like an agency like the CIA or the FBI where they have you know, an office and a headquarters and a director, etc. It's more like a fluid think tank, quasi-official type body where you have people who've been in the group uh, but also hold... Um, you know, professional positions within government, but have been attached to the group because of their interests and who've been able to provide some sort of input. The best way I can describe it is almost like an Iran-Contra equivalent of it, like a UFO-type group, but an Iran-Contra equivalent in the sense the whole Iran-Contra project or operation was coordinated deeply and with a lot of funding and a lot of influence by people in government. But the group itself never really existed as a, a group titled Iran Contra or anything like that. And although this, this group was slightly more um, official than that, it, that's probably the closest comparison we could come to. And I think that's why it stayed under the radar for so long, because it's not, it wasn't even like Project Blue Book. You know, it was something that was sort of totally almost off the books, if you like. I think we kind of wonder here, is this one of the situations where it's your tax dollars at work, where government money is found for just about any wacky purpose, and this might be one of those wacky purposes? Yes, I think that's actually a very good way of looking at it, is the fact that it's clear to me from the, the people I spoke to that when you read the story, you know, a lot of the story is based upon belief systems. Now, of course, we know, or most of us at least, accept that there's a genuine UFO phenomenon. Many people interpret that phenomenon as being extraterrestrial, which it may well be. But at the end of the day, if people are honest with themselves, they have to admit that because we don't have all the answers, that the ETH, the extraterrestrial hypothesis, is simply that, a hypothesis, in the same way that McTonis's crypto-terrestrials scenario was, and the people who've written books suggesting that aliens and UFOs are really time travelers. You know, it's, it's a belief system, and I think we know, obviously, that the government's commissioned and sponsored various projects throughout the years to look at the whole UFO phenomenon, like Project Sign, Grudge, Twinkle, Blue Book, the CIA's Robertson panel. And some of these came to different conclusions. You know, Blue Book shut its doors basically saying there's nothing to it. But we know from hearsay and people like Rupelt 
that Grudge, you know, supposedly prepared this infamous report suggesting that some UFOs were extraterrestrial and General Twining ordered it destroyed. And then you have the Robertson panel, not so much concerned about UFOs, but the psychological impact and manipulations that the subject might afford the Soviet Union. And I think this is another example. People in government who are perhaps amenable and open to this idea put some funding its way um, and, and the group developed from there. So, yeah, I think it's, it's no different from the government funding remote viewing or, you know, research into psychic phenomena, you know, all manner of things where they feel that, you know, if there's any sort of potential for intelligence gathering, military applications, you know, they'll look into it if it's no matter how bizarre it is, I think. You think, though, that a 24-7 cable news network that's busy with criticizing anything any administration does would get on and say, this is like checking the sex life of pigs. Why are we spending our money on this? Well, yeah, I mean, that, that's, that particular scenario was sort of laid out when the whole story broke about remote viewing a number of years back. You know, people were saying, why is the government spending money on ESP? And particularly when, according to some of the files, you know, although they seem to have some successes, it was more random and chance. You know, it wasn't something that could necessarily be harnessed and controlled to, you know, a, a definite degree. And, you know, again, you can lay the same thing at Project Blue Book. People did criticize, you know, why, why we're spending money investigating flying saucer sightings. So, yeah, I think there's valid arguments from both perspectives. I think the important thing is the people who are believers would be full on behind it to be investigated. Those who are debunked, well, not too much debunkers, but disbelievers think it's crazy. And some people, you know, somewhere in the middle are saying, hey, well, we don't really know what's going on, but let's look into it. And again, you know, I think the important thing is one of the things that I got from most of the people I interviewed for the book was that, at least for the first 20 years or so, this group was very low-key with a small budget, you know, a very small budget. We're not talking about, you know, the budget that's applied to the, the science and technology division of the CIA or to NORAD, you know, its yearly budget. We're talking about a small think tank group of people that would get together every so often, prepare reports and summaries for people in government, some quite influential, apparently, who were influenced by the, the findings and the conclusions of the group. So in other words, you know, I think that has a lot to do with funding it. The notion that, well, in terms of what the military budget is per year, it, it's a, you know, it's a, just a small dip in the ocean. So a drop in the bucket, that kind of thing. We have Nick Redfern, exactly. author of Final Events, new book about a demonic UFO conspiracy. Our co-host is Chris O'Brien. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Paracast. Okay, neighbors, here's the problem. Face-to-face -face business meetings with clients and colleagues are always going to be important. But business travel is a hassle, and it's often a complete waste of money. Well, here's a solution for you. Do more, travel less with GoToMeeting. GoToMeeting is an award-winning online meeting service brought to you by Citrix with just a click Host sales presentations, training sessions, or product demos right from your own desk. Avoid the hassle of traveling and still exceed your sales goals. Plus, GoToMeeting is just $49 a month for unlimited online meetings. Plus, voice over IP and phone conferencing is included. My listeners can try GoToMeeting free for 45 days. For this special offer, visit GoToMeeting.com slash podcast. 
Once again, go to meeting free for 45 days. Visit gotomeeting.com slash podcast. Before you purchase any water filters, you should know there's a superior American-made water filtration system available. This water filter's housing is made of high-quality stainless steel, and its filters outperform all others in the industry and are the only ones that exceed EPA standards. It's a gravity-fed water filtration system requiring no electricity or plumbing. It removes chlorine, chemicals, and dangerous biological pathogens, producing quality drinking water for less than two cents per gallon. Plus, its filters can be cleaned up to 200 times. What is it? It's the Aqua Rain. Owning an Aqua Rain means you own the best money can buy. Learn more and see other quality emergency preparedness products at myaquarain.com. Use the GCN code and you'll receive the book Do It Yourself Emergency Preparedness absolutely free. To order, visit myaquarain.com or call 800-585-5077. That's myaquarain.com or 800-585-5077. Where have all the military surplus stores gone? Don't worry, you don't need one. Because everything you need at Military Surplus is at MainMilitary.com. That's M-A-I-N-E Military.com. One of the last surviving true military surplus stores in the country. Go online now to MainMilitary.com and discover a source for hard-to-find surplus items at true surplus prices. Surplus gun cleaning kits as low as $2.99. Complete chemical suits as low as $11.99. See our huge selection of gas masks, filters, and accessories. Finish it. M10 gas masks are three for $30. And Swiss filters are three for $12. Searching for Strike Anywhere matches? MainMilitary.com has them. Plus a whole new product line of survival and first aid kits and lots more. Get free shipping on orders over $50 only at MainMilitary.com. That's M-A-I-N-E Military.com. Or call 877-608-0179. 877-608-0179. MainMilitary.com. The main name in military supply. Question, what would you rather drink, acidic water which burns holes in your body and causes loss of bone mass, or alkaline water which promotes high energy and vibrant health? The answer is clear. And if you're drinking acidic water, you're helping cancer cells and bacteria to grow out of control. AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops combine a unique formula of the most alkaline minerals. Using Plasma pH Drops is the best way to alkalize your water and help you get rid of acid and regain your health and energy. Simply put 10 drops in the water you drink to raise the pH to a healthy alkaline level. Most experts agree that the water you drink should be at a pH level of 8 or higher. Disease organisms like bacteria, viruses, or cancer cannot survive in an alkaline high pH environment. Order your bottle of AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops now by going directly to AlkaVision.com. That's A-L-K-A-Vision.com. Or by calling 269-409-1776. Again, 269-409-1776. Ten years, a decade of talk. Great Talk Radio is here on the Genesis Communications Network. You're in the Paracast. You never know what's going to happen next. We have Nick Redfern. We're talking about his new book, Final Events, about the secret government group on demonic UFOs. The co-host is Chris O'Brien. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Paracast. Chris, you have 12,393 questions to ask. I I do indeed, Gene. Uh, This is actually, uh, before I I do ask Nick some questions about about some of the early 
workings of this particular named Collins uh, elite. I, I just want to suggest to our listeners that, that Nick is the messenger here, and I, I get very strongly from reading the book that uh, that Nick doesn't necessarily buy into this whole scenario, but it sure intrigues him. And having said that, <laughs> Nick, giving you a little disclaimer there, uh, which I, I don't do uh, for most guests, <laughs> um, why don't you take us through how this particular line of thinking developed and and what was the the, the sort of the the alarm bell or the wake up call that uh, created this this whole area of inquiry uh, all the way back? I mean, we're talking about a group that that probably got its start, I think, in the late forties, early fifties. Yeah. Um, which is you know, amazing that something, even a small effort, a think tank effort like this, should be able to to maintain secrecy for so long. Why don't you kind of lead us through the initial? Uh, formative stages of this whole concept in, in the minds of the think tank. Sure. And the, the important thing I would stress is that the the people I interviewed, the, the story that sort of developed, closely paralleled, if not pretty much identically, to that of, of Ray Boucher, where they, they were talking about the government investigating the demonic angle and, you know, the torn between trying to deny it access to our world if you like but equally being fascinated by the fact that what are viewed as sort of in simplistic terms magical powers may actually be some sort of be, could be explained by science and we could harness them as as tools of weaponry etc so it was sort of a you know a, a double-edged sword side, type of approach where people were fascinated by the phenomenon but also recognized the, the hazards and the pitfalls but with that said what basically happened, we have to go back to pretty much 1918 and Alistair Crowley. Now, Alistair Crowley, I'm sure, is a name that pretty much everybody knows. You know, you see somebody who a lot's been written about, some good, some bad, and, you know, some correct and some totally incorrect. And, you know, certainly a lot of legends and mythologies have, written, have been written about him and have, have risen as a result. Now, what we know for certain is that in 1918... Um, Crowley embarked on this thing known as the Amalantra working, which essentially involved the ingestion of hashish and mescaline to achieve an altered state of consciousness. And it was while in this altered state that Crowley supposedly made contact with an interdimensional entity that became known as Lamb. And if you Google Lamb and look at the pictures, he looks like, you know, the, the second cousin of the creature on the front of Whitley Strieber's communion. It's sort of like this large-headed, little-shouldered creature with these sort of ominous, staring eyes. Now, of course, Crowley at the time didn't call it a grey or an extraterrestrial biological entity or anything like that. You know, it was, it was lamb. Uh, of course, you know, this is 30 years pretty much before Kenneth Arnold even was responsible for coining the term flying saucer. But Crowley had this experience, if you like, in terms of opening a doorway, metaphorically speaking, in his mind, if nowhere else. Yeah, that was out on Montauk, Long Island, too, I, 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 I yeah, want to interject. That's, yeah, that's one of the weird aspects of the story as well. And, you know, he sort of opened the doorway, if you like, to let this lamb-type creature in. Now, somebody who developed a, a fascination with Crowley and actually came to work with him, become friends with him, was Jack Parsons. Now... Parsons was certainly an occultist. He eventually, in uh, 1942, um, led Crowley's Agape Lodge of the Thelemic Ordo Templi Orientis in California. 
after Crowley had basically kicked out the previous um, leader of the group, Wilfred Smith. But Parsons was also someone who founded the Aerojet Corporation, which, which even today produces solid fuel rocket boosters for the space shuttle program. And every year on Halloween, NASA's Jet Propulsion Lab ho- holds a, basically what's like an open house memorial with mannequins of Parsons and his early JPL cohorts known as Nativity Day. So in other words, he was someone who was not just deeply involved with Crowley, but he was also someone who arguably helped mold NASA and the future of the space program. And because of this, Parsons... Well, he invented uh, solid, solid rocket fuel. Yeah, that's right. That's correct. You know, without Parsons, you know, we simply would not have had um, the history, I guess, that we have today of, of the space program and, and rocketry. Um, but because of the work he was doing and because a lot of this work was of interest and contracted to the military... Um, Parsons was actually given a top secret clearance with the Army and the Air Force and the Navy if it was deemed necessary, you know, for him to see certain work and documentation that that might further his own projects. So that essentially was where there was this sort of tie-in with Parsons and the government initially. And what happened was that after the State of Israel was created... Parsons was actually approached by certain people in the Israeli government and was given an offer of a position to help them develop their own rocket program. And Parsons found this to be of great interest to him. Um, And what he did, he made a fatal mistake. Rather than just sort of preparing a detailed resume, he actually secretly took, stole, borrowed, however you want to term it, documents from his workplace at Hughes Aircraft, where he's working at the time, the Howard Hughes Aircraft Company, and took them home with a view to sharing them with the Israelis. And what happened was that, of course, you know, security procedures, etc., found out the documents were missing, was traced back to Parsons. And a huge investigation was initiated by the FBI, Army Intelligence, Air Force Intelligence, and Hughes security personnel, to determine if Crow, excuse me, if Parsons was just being reckless and stupid because he really wanted this job with the Israelis, or if actually he was engaging on an espionage operation on behalf of the Israelis, and he was just trying to play it down and say, oh, you know, I'm just looking for a job with them. And so what happened was that there was this investigation of his potential espionage angle, but the people who were involved, as I said, from FBI, Air Force Intelligence, Army Intelligence, Hughes, even the Navy... The more they dug into the story and his background, you know, obviously they had to do a lot of background checks, the more they found information out on his, quote, other life, as they termed it, you know, with, with um, Crowley and getting involved with people like L. Ron Hubbard and trying to conjure up elementals and things like this. And the story that I was given by the various people I interviewed was that this other life that he had, I guess, fascinated many of the people in the official world that were engaged in the espionage operation. And even when the espionage operation came to an end and it was determined that Parsons really had just been reckless, he wasn't an espionage agent for the Israelis, and he lost his secret clearance, that these people still took a deep interest in what he was doing because they began to, began to see parallels surfacing that seemed to link Parsons with aspects of the UFO phenomenon, one being that, you know, as I mentioned, the Parsons at the time, at least, was friends with L. Ron Hubbard for a while. They had a big falling out, but that's a totally different story. But he was friends with L. Ron Hubbard. Who L. started Hubbard, Scientology. Who started Scientology. 
And L. Ron Hubbard wrote science fiction. He wrote a lot of well-received science fiction in the 1940s. Um, and he, uh, Hubbard, was well known to uh, Ray Palmer, who, as many people would know, was a, a very influential editor and writer for science fiction magazines. Why does Ray old. Palmer always get in the middle of these things? You know, <laughs> I mean, so many people just remember Ray Palmer, for example, as the guy who brought Richard Shaver to the mm -hmm. public arena, the co-founder of Fate magazine. And suddenly we've got Ray Palmer again. I should tell our listeners before we get to the next section of the show that I met Ray Palmer once. I think I was one of the rare people who met him because he had a physical deformity. So he didn't like to go out in public very much. I interviewed him and I also talked to him a couple of times on the telephone. But that gets to be very complicated, very involved and has nothing to do with Nick Redfern's book, which is called <laughs> Final Events. <laughs> And the subtitle, and the secret government group on demonic UFOs and the afterlife. And it's brought to you by our friends at Anomalous Books. The co-host this week is Chris O'Brien. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Paracast. Hey, neighbors. Ever thought about creating a website? With HostGator, you can create your own website with your very own .com domain name. HostGator has a free site builder and thousands of design templates to create your website today. Whether you want to create a blog, a photo gallery, a family page, or a website for your business, HostGator has the right plan for you, starting at less than 5 bucks a month for ultra-reliable website hosting with 99.9% .9 uptime. And true 24 by 7 live support available by phone, chat, or email, and based right here in the U.S. Don't be left without a website. It's more affordable and easier than you think. Sign up at technightowl.com slash gator, that's G-A-T-O-R, to get the lowest possible price. At HostGator, that's technightowl.com slash gator to get a special deal on all their web hosting services. What is a wind generator? How can the wind produce power for a small cabin? How can wind energy be stored and used during an emergency? Can I assemble my own wind generator? For answers to questions about wind power, visit windbluepower.com. Did you know the wind could provide your family with emergency power? It can with a wind generator from windbluepower.com. Learn how our amazing LightBreeze wind generator kits start charging a 12-volt battery and just 6 mile per hour wind. Or see the new Cyclone X2 dual kit featuring two wind generators on just one tower. And learn why schools and universities across the country utilize our products to teach about wind power and alternative energy at windbluepower.com. All kits qualify for a 30% IRS tax credit for residential energy efficient property. Enter coupon code RADIO for a 5% discount at windbluepower.com. That's windbluepower.com or call 800-976-0026. That's 800-976-0026. You worry. You see the signs and worry about the future. You worry about economic turmoil and food shortages. How to be prepared while preserving your sanity. Your answer may be at hand. Author Linda Runyon lived off the land, isolated from civilization. She knows that as long as the sun shines, there will be plenty of free food all over God's green earth. Perhaps the only sane insurance is knowledge of wild edible plants. The cost of learning is minimal. Wild food grows everywhere and you will see it everywhere. It's every bit organic and more nutritious than our modern diets. Well respected in her field, Linda's approach to teaching this subject includes books, flashcards, and video with an emphasis 
emphasis on health, safety, practicality, and joy. Learn how to identify it, where and when to find it, how to prepare, use, and store it. Go to Linda's website, ofthefield.com, and take advantage of special offers. Or if you're not online, call her 24-hour toll-free order line at 888-51-EAT-FREE. That number again, 888-51-EAT-FREE. A little knowledge makes starvation impossible. Off-the-grid remedies can still be grown in your own backyard. Tap into powerful off-the-grid health care using all-natural, time-tested herbal medications that you grow yourself with the new Survival Herb Bank. Take the first preventative step against the coming socialized medical shortages with SurvivalHerbBank.com. Traditional herbal remedies have been used effectively for centuries, but the big pharmaceutical and big government cartel can't patent their natural healing powers. That's why they are trying to ban them. The Survival Herb Bank contains 20 powerful herbs, all with proven track records as off-the-grid remedies. And here's the best part. When you grow your own herbal medicines, potencies go through the roof. Learn more at survivalherbbank.com. Plus, get the ebook How to Grow Your Own Herbs for Survival Remedies, a $39 value free with every Survival Herb Bank order. Now at less than half price while supplies last at survivalherbbank.com or call 877-327-0365. That's 877-327-0365. survivalherbbank.com. Tired of searching for great talk radio? There's a a wide range of stuff on here. We are the GCN Radio Network. Genesis. Genesis. Hi, this is Nick Pope. You're listening to the Paracast. Nick Redfern, author of Final Events, joining us this week. Chris O'Brien's the co-host. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Paracast. And you were talking about L. Ron Hubbard of Scientology Mm -hmm. fame and also well-known science fiction writer, and then you brought up Ray Palmer, mm. that he was somehow involved in this grouping. Explain further. Yeah, well, what happened was, that, as I said, when this espionage operation against Parsons was shut down and he was cleared but lost his security clearance, people in the official world were still interested and fascinated by this other world he had. And the story given to me was that because uh, Parsons was friends with Hubbard, Hubbard wrote sci-fi, and one of the most influential magazine editors of the time in the, in the genre of fantasy and science fiction was Ray Palmer, who knew Hubbard. And Palmer was also friends with Kenneth Arnold and actually co-wrote and published Arnold's uh, The Coming of the Flying Saucers. And I was told that it was through this sort of friend of a friend of a friend situation that Parsons and Arnold actually met on at least two occasions. And for the people in this group, the very fact that Parsons had met Arnold and the fact that Parsons was friends with Crowley who'd summoned up this weird alien looking creature and thirdly the fact that one of, I wouldn't so much say a colleague, more of like a competitor of Parsons was Robert Goddard who actually moved his rocket research out to none other than Roswell, New Mexico. The oh, the plot thickens. The group basically was following all these strands linking uh, Parsons with Goddard and Crowley and Kenneth Arnold, etc., and admitted that, you know, they didn't really, I guess, have an idea of what this all meant, other than the fact that there were pieces that seemed to link certain players in the early formative years of, of ufology. It was literally a case of some of the people who'd been involved in this espionage operation sort of getting together after work, as one of them described it to me, like, oh, the martinis in a bar in D.C. or somewhere, talking about, hey, you know, this flying saucer wave that suddenly started, this guy we were investigating on this espionage operation seems to have been in the thick of it and had have sort of strands of his story spreading out throughout, you know, various formative people and cases in the subject. 
whether it's Ray Palmer or Kenneth Arnold and, you know, Robert Goddard at Roswell. And, you know, they admitted to me that for the first couple of years, it was just a case of having these after-dinner meetings when, you know, everybody was in the right place at the right time, etc. Um, but then over time, they began to attract official interest, um, you know, with other people in governments that were tasked with investigating UFOs, not having much success, like Grudge and Blue Book, you know, sort of looking into the subject, but not reportedly at least catching one of these things. They seemed to vanish from radar. They didn't behave like you would expect a hostile enemy to behave, and the military was sort of perplexed by it. So somebody said, why don't you guys have a look at this other angle you've been investigating, you know, this thing with Parsons and Crowley, and, you know, we'll give you the time and the space and some funding to do it. And if something comes of it, great. If nothing comes of it, well, you know, we gave it a try and just, just see what you can kind of drum up. And that really seems to be the way that it all kicked off. Had it not been for this espionage investigation, the people involved wouldn't have stumbled upon the fact that, in their view at least, Parsons was sort of responsible for all these late 40s door openings and, you know, flying saucers flying in, so to speak. Well, one of the things, uh, Nick, I find really fascinating is... Um, the actual series of magical workings that uh, Parsons underwent, I think it was over a three-month period in 1946, out in the uh, California desert with the assistance of L. Ron Hubbard. And this was called the Babylon Working. And um, it, it was an effort to, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, create a moon child or kind of an antichrist-type figure. Uh, do, do you want to talk about that briefly before we move on? Because we have a lot of ground to cover yeah, yeah, this is one of the important things is that, you know, this wasn't somebody just dabbling like with a Ouija board on a Friday night over a few beers and just having a laugh and see what would happen. You know, it was more along the lines of a deep series of rituals and rites to try and, you know, literally summon up some sort of entity which many people would perceive as being a very hostile entity or at least a, a, an entity that had the ability to be hostile. It's, it's the same thing with a lot of these conjured up entities and, and tricksters, etc., that they can be as playful and as they can be deceitful and as friendly as they can be deadly. Um, and Parsons, you know, had a deep respect for whatever these creatures or beings might be and realized that, you know, you can go into this and it can turn very bad or it can turn very good depending on your own, the way you deal with it and, you know, how it deals with you. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, these rituals, the Babylon rituals, were extensive, you know, and the, this is why the Collins Elite group took so much interest and notice of it, because they realized this wasn't just some guy dabbling. You know, he was practically obsessed to the point where he was determined to conjure up something come hell or high water. Oh, that literally. <laughs> he, he that's a bad con, isn't it? Oh, boy. He would do an invocation in, uh, to Pan, I think, before his rocket uh, fuel test, correct? Yeah, that's correct. I mean, you know, this was someone who straddled the worlds of the military and the occult as easily as he did get out of bed and eat his breakfast. You know, that, that is quite true. Before each rocket launch, he felt to have a favorable result and put a positive spin on things. He would um, provide like a, an invocation or, you know... Um, a speech, if you like, almost um, appeasing and, and look, asking for good fortune from the Greek god Pan, you know, and stomping around on the ground, etc., while people like Theodore von Karman sort of looked on mystified and amused at the same time. So 
So in other now, words, that's a fast question that occurs to me, Nick. Is this basically the same as anyone who does a prayer before they do something that might be dangerous? Well, yeah. I mean, you know, it's like somebody going into battle and saying, who's a Christian, saying, please, God, protect me. You know, and then saying somebody who's a Muslim, you know, saying a prayer themselves before they go into battle. Or somebody who's an atheist saying, I'm just going to look after myself. But, you know, let's keep fingers crossed. You know, crossing your fingers is not much different from invoking the God Pan. You know, you're doing something to... <laughs> to try and hope that something is going to help you have a positive outcome. You know, it, it all depends on your belief system. But the, the thing with Parsons is it demonstrates that this was someone that the military was willing to work with and had a deep interest in, and they actually didn't or the, you know, mind too much and actually ignored to a, a large extent you know, his, what they perceived as his eccentricities. And, and that's, that's pretty mind-blowing when you really think about it. Back in the 40s and uh, into the early 50s, turning a blind eye to a master occultist who is combining the esoteric worlds of of the occult and, and conjuring uh, doorways and elementals and then being a world-class, literally, a rocket uh, scientist uh, who helped invent some of our most uh, notable, you know, progress in, in the field. Um, so th- getting back to the timeline here, so this group uh, was concerned about uh, – about Parsons and Crowley and the occult um, potential aspect for what emerged the following year after the Babylon ritual uh, in 1947 as this huge, massive wave of uh, flying saucer reports. Um, So give us kind of a sense of how that end of the 40s period, early 50s period, up and around uh, until the time that Parsons blew himself up in 52. Why don't you give us a sense of how, how this group really got started on this on this tact? Yeah, well, well sort of 49, 50, 51, there isn't a great deal of material because a lot of it, this was still the period where, you know, we might just be talking about five or six meetings per year, just hanging out and chatting. And it, But it was around about the time uh, 52 when Parsons, as you said, blew himself up in his lab in California. At the time, by the way, he was trying to conjure up a creature known as a homunculus, which essentially is like a, a manufactured life form. The best way to describe it is it, it's a little man uh, imbued with, with magical powers. That's the sort of almost the dictionary definition of a homunculus. So, in, in other words, you know, in the same way that Crowley had conjured up this diminutive, large headed lamb. Parsons, on the very day he died, was doing pretty much the same thing. And the group reportedly went into sort of high gear not long after Parsons died. And it was only a month after Parsons died that the whole uh, Washington, D.C. wave kicked off. And the group saw that as being connected, that this was yet another of Parsons' ultimate, in his case, literally final door-opening activity when he tried to conjure up this homunculus. You're saying basically here that this is the 1952 Washington UFO sightings, right? Yes, exactly. This group actually concluded that Parsons' final invocation, if you like, in June 52, when he blew himself up, opened the doors to allow the Washington wave to occur. I'll tell you what, we'll pursue that in a moment. Hey, neighbors, have you subscribed to our weekly PowerCast newsletter? Here's what you do. Just go to newsletter.thepowercast.com. That's newsletter.thepowercast.com. Enter your email address. You'll get something in your email box that you have to acknowledge to get the newsletter, and then you'll get your issue every single week. We have Nick Redfern. His book is called 
called Final Events. And it's a wild and woolly theory here that we're exploring, and we're exploring this organization, the theories they had. Our co-host is Chris O'Brien. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Paracast. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. If you own an Apple iPhone and love to listen to your favorite programs on GCN, I've got good news for you. I'm proud to announce that GCN has a brand new iPhone app available for our dedicated listeners at GCNlive.com. Listen to your favorite hard-hitting GCN programs live or on demand right on your iPhone. And the best part? The GCN iPhone app can be yours absolutely free. Download the iPhone app today by clicking on the banner at GCNlive.com. Again, that's GCNlive.com. Hi, this This is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? They've been available since 1986, yet the financial industry won't recognize the value of gold for your retirement. Gold has outperformed paper investments, yet no word about IRAs. If you would like to have gold for your retirement, call 800-686-2237. Don't get left behind by rising inflation and low returns. Call 800-686-2237. Secure your future and call 1-800-686-2237. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. We're spending another hour with Nick Redfern. The book is called Final Events and the Secret Government group on demonic UFOs in the afterlife. Now, this guy Parsons, is there some documentation, Nick Redfern, about his life, about how he died? What's the official story about his death, that he was a wacko who blew himself up or what? Yeah, the official story basically is that Parsons, you know, was dabbling in experiments just, you know, related to his rocket research and it went wrong and and he blew himself up in a catastrophic accident and died um, on the way to hospital, I think, or possibly expired at the hospital. Uh, but, he, you know, there was no chance of recovery. I mean, he's, half of his right arm was blown off. His left arm was massively broken. Both of his legs were shattered. There was a huge hole in his jaw. There was just no way he would have survived. But the group kind of saw this as two things. One, as I mentioned, you know, opening the doors to allow the Washington, D.C. wave to occur like four weeks later. And the other thing they concluded was that by opening the door, um, the Parsons was rewarded by basically being taken to hell, I suppose, and, you know, meeting with, with the devil or, or whoever. And so, you know, th- that was sort of the the way they looked at it, that he, you know, he paid the price with his soul, but he was probably pleased that that's what, uh, what basically happened. Okay, maybe that's, uh, that's what, what he intended to do, but the question I have about all this is, why assume that what he did brought about these sightings? There were lots of sightings before 1952 in Washington, D.C., and even before this group ever existed, so why do we assume this is a possibility? Well, I think the main one is purely and simply this, again, was a belief system, and they were looking at strands. And unfortunately, when people get really dug into belief systems, they see, you know, threads and ties here, there, and everywhere. And it doesn't necessarily mean they're wrong, but equally, it doesn't mean they're right. And they were just looking at other things that were going on in the same time frame in the way that they looked at things going on in the same time frame in 46, 47, when 
Parsons was doing the Babylon working, and then suddenly you have all these UFOs coming in, and Parsons knowing Arnold, who ushered in the whole era itself. So that that was basically the way they were looking at it. The idea was anything that's going to happen around 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 this time, to their view at least, is going to be connected with Parsons' activities. But there was no proof of it. Now, in terms of proof of government interest, I actually got somewhere in the region of about 600 Freedom of Information Act pages from collectively the Air Force Army, Naval Intelligence, Hughes Aircraft, the FBI, the State Department, and one or two other agencies where demonstrating this whole espionage story, but also clearly showing that they were also very interested in his occult life. And so, you know, in other words, this does dovetail with the, the whistleblower testimony and the, and the testimony of the people I interviewed, namely that the files don't just reflect that they were watching Parsons because of his alleged espionage going on. They were also watching him because they were interested in the, the groups he was working with, who he was influencing in California, what was going on you know, in his occult life. And you know, there's, there's whole files that detail the occult aspect of his life and that don't even mention the espionage operation. So in other words, we do have proof that there were people who were you know, sort of hot on the trail of what he was doing in the occult world, which sort of, again, ties in with his story. And more importantly, you know, these aren't like MJ-12 leaked documents. This is all FOIA materials. Okay, that's the problem we have, of course, with MJ-12, is that <laughs> we're not seeing the providence for those documents except for those things mm -hmm. that came over in film. All right, this guy Parsons. Now, you said something earlier, and maybe we didn't explore it fully, or maybe we can't. His contacts with people like Kenneth Arnold, we have Ray Palmer involved here. Did they have any connection with this organization, or were they just there for whatever they were doing at the time? No, not as far as I know. Um, I, and to the best of my knowledge, you know, Palmer, um, Hubbard, none of these people, Arnold, none of these people were interviewed by the group at all. Parsons reportedly was. And, you know, they were asking him questions about the fact that he was linked with somebody at Roswell, the fact that he knew Arnold, the fact that he knew Palmer, you know, that they were trying to put the pieces together. But apparently they didn't interview those people and they, they weren't part of this group or, you know, not trying to infiltrate ufology or anything like that. They were just on the periphery and the group was trying to, I guess, interview as few people as possible because it was a controversial area. And, you know, if it had got out... As one of the people told me in the early years, that he said the reason for the secrecy, he said it might be more mundane than you want to hear to me, but he said the reason for the secrecy wasn't because of what they were doing. It was because of, the, of what the outcome would be if the media or whoever got hold of the notion that the Pentagon's funding a project into demonology and aliens. It, he said that that was literally the reason for the secrecy. It was, it was the worry of, of what the, the fallout would be. Now, let me ask you, other things in the UFO field, like the Roswell crash, does that enter into all these meetings that occurred in the late 40s and early 50s? Well, it, it, it enters into it to a great extent in later years. Now, what I was told in the late 40s was that this group, because it was like a think tank type organization, whatever happened at Roswell, they weren't the keepers of the secret, but they knew something had happened at Roswell that went beyond a weather balloon. But, you know, they weren't privy to the ultimate secret of what it was. But 
in later years, it does seem, as I point out in the book, that they were exposed to significant material on the Roswell story and came to some, quite some extraordinary conclusions. But back in the late 40s, they seemed to be as much in the dark as you might argue that Blue Book was in the dark about Roswell. Okay, speaking of Roswell, what were their conclusions then? Well, bear in mind that these conclusions were reached by the like, late 80s, mid-1990s, when the group had gone from being just a bunch of people interested in the occult religious side to a group that was largely dominated by extreme fundamentalist Christians who saw demons behind every doorway. It was a very, very different setup and scenario and membership to the early days. But what they basically concluded was about Roswell was two things. One relative to the material, the, like the debris found at the crash site, and the other one relative to the, the bodies, the so-called alien bodies. Now, in, in terms of the former, they concluded that there never was a Roswell, quote, UFO crash. They didn't think there was any sort of crash, accident, mishap, shoot down of a UFO or collision with a mogul balloon or anything like that. What they concluded, that the, the weird memory metal found at Roswell was literally the work of, like, demonic alchemists who, I guess, ingeniously created this material and literally surreptitiously placed it on the ground on the Foster Ranch, where the rancher Matt Brazel found it, um, with a view to almost like, like a Trojan horse. The idea was it looked like a faked crash of a UFO, but it was really these entities engaging in what some people in biblical terms would call demonic magic, but what they actually described as like... Well, conjuring. Yeah, like they conjured up the material. Yeah, but in their view, that it could possibly be explained as like a technological alchemy. But, you know, it wasn't something that you could dismiss by just saying, oh, it's the devil's magic, which is basically what they concluded. But they felt that there was like a technology behind it, or it could be explained by science. Um, and they concluded that this was sort of to lure us into the idea that what had crashed was um, a vulnerable extraterrestrial spacecraft and it would sort of spread the meme amongst the government that UFOs were amongst us, they were alien and they crash now and again. And again, this was to instill the belief system in aliens, which the group believes this demonic hierarchy wishes to do, to deceive us into believing they're one thing when they're actually something else. So basically um, they want to convey the impression that we have benevolent, advanced aliens from... Alpha Centauri, Zeta Reticuli, whatever or not, these demonic creatures. We'll get into more of this in a moment. We have Nick Redfern. The book from Anomalous Press is called Final Events and the Secret Government Group on Demonic UFOs and the Afterlife. And we've only just begun, folks. A lot more is happening. Our co-host is Chris O'Brien. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in The Bearcast. <laughs> Is there a secret UFO agenda? Do strange creatures from the darkest corners of the mind roam the earth? Is there evidence for mind control, time travel, or devious government conspiracies? Find out the inside scoop on the latest conspiracies, paranormal activity, and Freudian phenomena when you subscribe to Tim Beckley's Conspiracy Journal. It's jam-packed with stories, special book and DVD promotions, and the best news, it's absolutely free, sent right to your mailbox. 
plus a bonus free email newsletter sent out every Friday. Simply send an email with your name and address to MrUFO at WebTV.net. That's MrUFO at WebTV.net. Find out what they don't want you to know. When making important financial decisions, you should always know the facts. That's why Midas Resources is willing to pay you to read the facts. Midas Resources, a team of hand-picked financial specialists with decades of financial experience who are ready to provide you with state-of-the-art, up-to-date financial services. Midas Resources offers a host of services and stands behind their products. In fact, if you call and order their free Midas report, Midas Resources will pay you. This detailed report will provide you with financial history on the safest and most profitable areas to invest in. If you read the report, Midas Resources will send you a free Walking Liberty Silver Half Dollar. So what are you waiting for? Get the facts and call Midas Resources toll-free at 888-292-2709. That's 888-292-2709. And remember, if you read the Midas report, you'll receive a free Walking Liberty Silver Half Dollar. Are you fed up with government of, by, and for the banksters and gangsters? Are you ready for a patriotic newspaper that pulls no punches, that tells it the way it is about the forces that have taken over and are destroying the United States from within? The Nationalist Times has been informing and educating Americans every month since 1985. The Nationalist Times features outstanding writers and columnists who promote a common sense, intelligent, and passionate alternative to the reigning cultural Marxist party line. If you believe it's far past time to get America back on track, you need to be reading America's best political publication. Find out why the Nationalist Times has many thousands of loyal readers. Subscribe to the Nationalist Times for the special introductory rate of just $29 for one year. Subscribe today by sending $29 to the Nationalist Times, 10161 Park Run Drive, Suite 150, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89145. That's $29 for one year to the Nationalist Times, 10161 Park Run Drive, Suite 150, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89145. Attention, an important product from HempUSA.org, Microplant Powder, will change your life by removing all types of positive toxins, such as heavy metals, parasites, bacteria, viruses, and fungus from the digestive tract and stomach wall so you can absorb nutrients. Microplant Powder is 89% silica and packed with a negative charge that attracts positive toxins from the blood, organs, spine, and brain. This product has the ability to rebuild cartilage and bone, which allows synovial fluid to return to the joints. Silica is a precursor to calcium, meaning the body turns silica into calcium and is great for the heart. There is no better time than now to have microplant powder on your shelf or in your storage shelter. And with an unlimited shelf life, you can store it anywhere. Call 908-691-2608 or visit hempusa.org. It's a great way to change your life. So call 908-691-2608 or visit us at hempusa.org today. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. We want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And if you want to catch up on past episodes, we have hundreds of shows for you to download direct from theparacast.com. That's theparacast.com. Or 
check us out on iTunes. In our previous section, Chris O'Brien is trying to sound as demonic as he possibly can. <laughs> well, we can try that one, too. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Paracast. Nick Redfern, one of our co-hosts, is our guest because he has a new book out called Final Events. Now, in the course of the lead-up to this interview, someone started a thread in the Paracast forums at forum.theparacast.com where they talk about the book, either having read it or not having read it. Chris, you've been examining those forum posts. Anything there warrant a question at this point? Well, at this point, no. I think a lot of the comments uh, had to do more with the general subject of looking at things uh, in terms of ufologically from a you know solely belief-based um, perspective. And I think, obviously, we, we need to get into that. But I'm absolutely fascinated by, by the way that Nick has been able to uncover this this absolutely tantalizing uh, web of of events and and persons involved in looking at the UFO phenomenon from purely an occult uh, point of view. I think the the period that we're now in our timeline that that, that we're now entering in is very crucial, and I think it ends with our good uh, our good witch uh, in England, uh, Sybil Leake. Uh, who did a channeling some years later that uh, was highly influential with the the later incarnation of the Collins elite, as they're called. But uh, Nick, why don't, why don't you go ahead and just continue on the timeline because we're getting into some areas I think that are very crucial in terms of how the thinking went from being open-minded and non-judgmental or subjective into into a very subjective, uh, belief-based sort of bent. Uh, why don't you continue? Yeah, sure. And just before I sort of get there, I'll just finish off on the Roswell thing. When they were talking about, that was their basic conclusion on the memory metal, that it was sort of like a carefully planted Trojan horse. Um, now, as far as the bodies were concerned, the interesting thing is, is that most of the story I got was, I guess, belief system based. Throughout the book, I've re, um, reproduced a number of official documents, such as the Parsons files that have been declassified. I was given access to one document that I guess is like a demonic Collins elite equivalent of an MJ-12 type document, which talks about the Roswell crash and the bodies. But they don't ever refer to, in the, in the report, to the bodies being like alien bodies, extraterrestrial corpses. They just talk about biological materials. And when I spoke with one of the guys, he said, well, there's a good reason for that. They concluded that the bodies found at Roswell were essentially body-like, but they, they don't believe they ever had any form of life. They were almost like an extraterrestrial or demonic jackalope, you know, where you go to carnivals and circuses and you'll see like a, a stuffed rabbit with deer horns put on its head and a, like an alligator's tail, you know, it just looks like a weird creature. And they concluded that something had essentially has the ability to, I guess, manipulate DNA at a genetic level, almost like create what looks like something that once lived because it's made out of flesh, blood, bone, DNA, etc. But it never had any life. It was like an ingeniously created doll. It's like creating um, a I, fake dead entity. Yes, exactly. And what's interesting is one of the reasons why they again concluded this was the case was that, you know, as I mentioned, Jack Parsons himself tried to conjure up one of these entities on the day he died, a homunculus. Now, I also mentioned earlier Theodore von Kármán, who again was a big um, rocket pioneer actually somebody who Parsons worked closely with and who became a father figure to Parsons 
Theodore von Karman had um, a relative back in Prague centuries ago who supposedly conjured up a golem, which again is like another manufactured life form. And so this, the fact that Parsons was doing this on the day he died, and that his very own father figure, Theodore von Karman, had a relative who tried to create a manufactured life form, again led them to believe that this theory of these non-existent life forms that have been carefully laid out amongst the memory metal were also a part of this whole Trojan horse ruse. And the fact that Parsons and von Karma in the thick of it was more evidence of like a demonic thing that could be backtracked to Parsons. So that I, all this, I suspect, is one of the reasons why over time the group went from being open-minded intelligence personnel who were looking into occult aspects of the story to determine what was going on and see if there were any military applications, etc., to becoming fear-driven people who were basically swamped by the fear that this was really going on, and over time their, their views became radical to the point where the blur between being open-minded and being absolutely certain this, this is what's going on and this is the countdown to the final battle between good and evil. Somewhere, you know, the, the scales were tipped, so to speak. Is this organization still in existence today? Well, th this is the interesting thing. I mean, I mentioned this towards the very end of the book. It does seem to be in existence, but what I was told is that all the projects have been closed down or are in on hold status. And the reason why is because the group saw the events of 9-11 as being the beginning of the the literal, the final battle, hence the title of the book, Final Events. And they viewed that, you know, this isn't just like the Second World War or the First World War, that what's going on now is the literal final battle of good versus evil, which will culminate in the UFOs showing themselves en masse to try and deceive the entire world. And those who fall for it will be taken to hell, and those who don't for it, you know, will be received open arms from Jesus and God. Now, this isn't well, anything new. This kind of theory yeah, yeah, has been Project voiced Blue by Beam. lots of people there. Yeah, no, there's nothing new about the theory. That the, the difference is we're talking about people in government and some of these people influencing even higher-up people in government. But, yeah, they, they concluded what a lot of people have suggested, you know. I mean, you can find a number of relig well-known religious figures who commented on this very issue that they believe, you know, um, UFOs are basically demonic deceptions. But the, this particular group put their work apparently on hold post 9-11 because they came to the conclusion that they had the answers. It wasn't a theory anymore. This is what we know what's going on. There's no point doing anything else other than try and save the souls of everybody by instilling like a radical Christian fundamentalist belief system in everybody. Basically, you know, putting them in the literal fear of God because the group came to an interesting conclusion that being that these entities can actually be held at bay by denying their existence. In other words, belief systems can actually keep them at bay, which almost makes these things sound tolpa-like. You know, belief in them gives them power. A lack of belief or denial of belief prevents them from acting to the extent that they're potentially able to. So the group concluded that this is where you get to very controversial areas in the book towards the very end. The idea of trying to slowly or quickly, who knows, instill a stronger and stronger grip on the population via religion by further extending the involvement of religion in government and in the military to the point where today's five-year-olds, by the time they're 25, are full-on fundamentalists within the entire United States living in fear of God. And they felt that it's worth 
the sacrifice if the, they have such a belief system that it keeps these entities at bay. Just want to remind you that we're looking for a salesperson to join us here on the Paracast. Send your resume to sales at thepowercast.com. That's sales at thepowercast.com. Maybe you'll become part of our team. Nick Redfern is author of Final Events. The co-host is Chris O'Brien. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Paracast. Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack! Attack! of the Rockoids. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes, The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans a galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack of the Rockoids is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Attack of the Rockwell, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition. If you're a regular listener of this station, then disaster survival is vitally important to you and your family. Long-term food storage, water filtration, emergency food preparation, and quality survival products are not just talk topics, but a way of life. We strongly believe in being prepared for any emergency. We are foodandwaterstore.com, owned and operated by people who are into emergency preparedness. And because we are preppers like you, we own and use the products we offer. You'll find quality name-brand proven products like Global Sun Ovens, Wonder Mill Flour Mills, Mountain House foods, Seychelle and Berkey water filters, and many more, plus videos and articles at foodandwaterstore.com. 90% of our customers are return customers because of our low prices and excellent customer service. We still believe the customer is always right. Discover what your family needs to weather any storm at foodandwaterstore.com or call 1-877-773-7123. Foodandwaterstore.com, helping you prepare for the storms of life. We all know that Berkey Water Purification Systems are the most trusted name in water filtration. As an authorized Berkey dealer for over five years and serving thousands of satisfied customers, the Berkey guy offers amazing specials for Berkey Water Filtration Systems. The Berkey Light Systems include a set of self-sterilizing and recleanable black purification elements that purify water by removing chlorine, pathogenic bacteria, cysts and parasites to non-detectable levels and remove harmful chemicals such as herbicides and pesticides. Order the Berkey Light System today complete with with two black Berkey elements for only $209, and the Berkey guy will include three sport Berkey water bottles and ship everything to you free of charge. That's right, three sport Berkey water bottles and free shipping. An $87 value, yours free. Call the Berkey guy at 1-877-886-3653. That's 1-877-886-3653. Or order online at goberkey.com. That's goberkey.com today. Your natural organic herbal formula for heart health is Heart and Body Extract. My name is Span, and I'm 68 years old, and I live in Vermont. In the spring of 2003, I started to have problems with my heart. It felt like my heart was pounding. It made me feel breathless. I tried many, many different things to try to get some help for myself. Nothing did anything. Heart and Body Extract is very powerful, very effective, and works quickly. I saw one of Sharon's ads and ordered Heart and Body Extract. 
I noticed a difference quickly, within days. The episodes became less frequent, and by a month, they completely vanished. Usually, you find a 30-day or 60-day guarantee. Heart and Body Extract comes with a lifetime 100% ironclad money-back guarantee. Details at hbextract.com or call 866-295-5305. Call 866-295-5305. 866-295-5305 for Heart and Body Extract. Tired of searching for great talk radio? And I think it really does make a difference. We are the GCN Radio Network. You've entered another dimension. You've entered the Paracast. Our guest is Nick Redfern, author of Final Events. Chris O'Brien's the co-host. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Powercast. As you were talking, Nick, I got to thinking about a relative. My wife's uncle was a guy named Louis Kaplan, who was one of the ringleaders or heads of a Jews for Jesus organization. And some of this end-time speculation was part of their belief system. In fact, there was a science fiction book that one of their officials had released, which says basically the same thing, that UFOs are demonic apparitions. So this is not an uncommon theory, folks. If you haven't heard it, it's not coming full-blown from Nick Redfern. There are other people who hold to this belief system. Let me get to the core of it, though, here. Based on your research, Nick, you're Mm -hmm. certain this agency, this organization, this think tank existed? Oh, yeah, there's no doubt about that. The the reason I know is because I wouldn't have, there's no way I would have got the story or the people had it not been for the fact that Ray Boucher was also approached by some of these people. In other words, it wasn't a case of people approaching me with, you know, a a disinformation ploy and me just gullibly buying into it. I had to go out and look for these people because 20 years ago they'd approached Ray Boucher and Ray had just mentioned it in a couple of lectures and and things like that, but hadn't really done anything to a great extent with the story. So in other words, you know, it wasn't a case of why these people suddenly approaching Nick Redfern. Had, Had Ray not been approached, I would never would have gone after the story. So in other words, there's evidence of other people having been approached by this group decades before me. You know, next year will be 20 years when Ray was approached by them. So, you know, this demonstrates it is... It has been in, in existence for some time. Now, I have some p- potential uh, uh, doc- sort of very, <laughs> how would I put it, intriguing sort of uh, claims that I've you know been able to uncover in my research uh, in terms of law enforcement officials who have expertise in occult crime and uh, the ritual nature of occult crime were also uh, claimed to have been approached by a very shadowy governmental mm-hmm. group that wanted to know uh, more about their some sort of demonic uh, potential involvement in the cattle mutilation phenomenon, which uh, I've always wondered about for years. And, and this, in some way, shape, or form, is validating these people's stories to me. So um, continue. Well, you know, I mean, the one thing I always find interesting about cattle mutilations, you know, we have heard these ties and stories about links to the occult. And I think, you know, people are always talking about organs being removed with surgical precision and blood taken, etc. Not many people take note of the fact that blood has always been seen as like a sacred part of ritual um, and sacrificial ritual. 
you know, people in the UFO community have been saying, well, the blood's being taken because the alien's DNA is compatible to ours. Or, you know, it's being done for biological warfare purposes and they need to analyze the blood. And maybe, there's, maybe there is something to both those scenarios. But I think more emphasis needs to be placed on the fact that if you go back into ancient mythologies and cultures, blood was seen as like a vital life force. And, you know, the ritualistic aspect of removing the blood from cows, no less, you know, that may have more of a bearing on the, on the reality of what actually lies at the heart of the cattle mutilation phenomenon than anything else, I think. Does this also have some resemblance to our fixation on vampires these days? It seems that anything about vampires becomes popular, certainly the TV shows like True Blood and, of course, the Twilight movies. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, I think it can, it can do. I think, you know, there are certain, there's no doubt there's certain archetypes in society and history and folklore that we see time again. We see predatory entities, you know, for example, the group, the, the Collins Elite group. They apparently studied and consulted ancient Babylonian texts, books in the 14 and 1500s on entities that they believed were the same ones that today we would call the greys, but they just looked and appeared and manifested in a different form. You know, we're talking um, about everything from, like, Lilith um, to goblins to jinns, and they, they actually didn't believe that people 500 years ago or 2,000 years ago were reporting them in ways that they believed they appeared and that were, they're actually mistakenly seeing aliens. They actually believed that 2,000 years ago, they did appear in the form of literal jinns, and 500 years ago in the form of goblins. In other words, they, their literal appearance has changed to suit the people of the day. So in other words, they seem to be, if the story's true, manipulating um, our core belief systems of predatory entities, bloodsuckers, and all sorts of other creatures. You know, if you look at mythology, there are several archetypal creatures. There are like large-winged humanoids, the hairy men like Bigfoot and the Yeti, lake monsters, werewolves, vampires. You know, there, there are these core groups, and the Collins Elite concluded that, you know, the, it's the same things in different incarnations, pulling upon our belief systems and, and the, these core belief systems and ideas that we have, if you like. Ballet 101. Yeah, exactly, exactly, yeah. But if we ask Jacques Fallet about this, and he actually appeared on the Powercast once, <laughs> believe it or not, do you think he'd go along with what this group theorizes in some fashion? I think Jack would go along with it in the sense that where Jack's messengers of deception and the Collins elite both agree and actually come to almost like a unified point is the fact that the UFO phenomenon is deceptive and is manipulating people. For a purpose that's not entirely clear. Now, it sounds you know, like the trickster no to me, Nick. Yeah. Now I have no idea what you know Jack's um, religious beliefs are, or if he has any, and I don't want to put words in his mouth, and I certainly won't. But I would say that you know his messengers of deception largely suggest that there's like a human element in um, you know the whole deceptive angle that it's done to pot- potentially alter or influence society and the populace at large. But if you substitute the human element for the demonic element, there's actually not that much difference, you know, and I think that's where the two cross paths that both um, Jacques and the Collins elite were talking about deceptive 
entities, whether humans or something supernatural, trying to provoke um, belief systems and manipulate society. But we wouldn't know whether the deception is being caused by E.T., by demonic creatures. Maybe just the suggestion of demonic creatures might itself be a deception. Well, that's right. I mean, you know, the, the, the ironic thing is, you know, you could look at some of the things that have been, by, that the Collins elite have laid at the hands of demons and suggest, well, yeah, all this could be going on and they could be evil and they could be deceiving us, but they may be just something that's from a different dimension that could be explained one day by, you know, uh, quantum physics or something like that. The idea that, you know, quantum physics does now at least offer the potential for extra dimensions to exist. So, you know, the the biblical interpretation that these are demons may be incorrect, but they may be hostile entities from another realm still. You know, just how one person's demon, you know, is another person's interdimensional entity, which is explainable by futuristic quantum physics, you know, but the intent and the hostility might still be there. Or it may just be E.T. going to Earth by warp drive. (laughs) Well, it could be, you know, I mean, that's the thing. It's like I always say to people, when it comes to UFOs, the U still stands for unidentified. Everybody, to an extent, as much as they try and be impartial, we all have a degree of belief systems in us. You know, it's, it's like people who believe in God and people who don't believe in God. Well, it's still a belief system. You know, I don't believe. But no, I do believe. You know, but it's still a belief system, whether you're on the positive or the negative. So, and I think that applies with ufology, that you can interpret it, these things in different ways. But a lot of it, at the end of the day, just comes down to where your beliefs are. Let me just remind you that the action is intense over at the Paracast forums. You can find out for yourself. Go to forum.paracast.com. That's forum.paracast.com. We have Nick Redfern, author of Final Events, and the Secret Government Group on Demonic UFOs and the Afterlife. We haven't gone much into afterlife stuff yet. Maybe Chris and I will pursue that later. The co-host is Chris O'Brien. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Paracast. Are you ready to order the official Paracast t-shirt? You asked, we answered. We're now taking orders for the official Paracast t-shirt. It comes in white, 100% cotton. The front of it features the same logo that we have on our community forums. On the back it says, separating signal from noise. To order the official Paracast t-shirt, here's all you have to do. Visit our new online store at store.theparacast.com. One more time, that's store.theparacast.com. You can use a major credit card to place your order for the official Paracast t-shirt. Hey, neighbors, we have one more thing to talk about, and that's more merchandise at the official Paracast store. We have hats, we have jackets, we even have a flip video camcorder customized with the Paracast logo at the official Paracast store. It's all now available at the official Paracast store, store.theparacast.com. 
It's the end of summer blowout sale at HerbalHealer.com. Now take advantage of Herbal Healer Academy's incredible savings on colloidal silver. 500 parts per million pharmaceutical grade. All sizes from 2 ounces to a gallon on sale. It's simply the best colloidal silver available. And CoQ10 100 milligrams with Hawthorne. An exceptional supplement for heart and arterial health is only $19. Plus get the number one arthritis supplement glucosamine chondroitin. 60 caps for only $12. Where? HerbalHealer.com. Super Femplex and Super Maleplex, both great formulas for reproductive tonification, are on sale now. 90 tabs, only $15. Need a safe and mild colon detoxifier? Herbal Healer Academy's Colon Enhancer Large 250 Capsule Bottle is now only $18. There's so much more at HerbalHealer.com, but not much time. The end of summer blowout sale ends October 13th. New customers get a free catalog with your first order. Log on and hit the summer specials now at HerbalHealer.com. As gardeners, we can all relate. What do you do with all of the excess food that you grow? Freezing or canning may have been the process you've used, but the good folks at Excalibur Dehydrator have a healthy alternative to preserve the fruits of your labor. The Excalibur Dehydrator will help you preserve your fruits and vegetables quickly and easily, so you don't have to worry about premature spoiling. You can also use your Excalibur Dehydrator year-round to make delicious jerky. And the best part? The foods you dehydrate are free from excess additives, salt, and preservatives. And that's something we can all do without. To learn more and to order your very own Excalibur Dehydrator, visit Dryingone23.com and see how the Excalibur Dehydrator can help you preserve your favorite foods. Mention coupon code GCN and receive a free book on how to preserve your foods. Again, that's D-R-Y-I-N-G-123.com, Dryingone23.com or call 1-800-875-4254. That's 1-800-875-4254 today. The food storage industry leader has done it again. Introducing FDG Clubs and Survival Bucks from the Freeze-Dry Guy. For over 39 years, the Freeze-Dry Guy has served various government agencies and the private sector with the finest in storable foods and emergency rations. If you've wanted to build emergency food supplies but couldn't afford it, now you can. Go to freezedryguy.com, click on products, and look for the Freeze-Dry Guy Clubs to pay as you go. Now you can build food storage without going into debt. Choose from a payment range of $95 to $450 per month. Our clubs work with everyone's budget. Plus, when you join Freeze Dry Guy clubs, you'll get additional rewards. For example, this month, get 10% back in survival bucks on all purchases in the Freeze Dry Guy product line, plus free shipping within the lower 48 states on any order amount. Hurry, go to freezedryguy.com or call 866-404-3663. That's freezedryguy.com or call 866-404-3663. The Freeze Dry Guy, the best you can buy. Bringing you the best in alternative talk radio for over 10 years. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. This is the Paracast. You never know what's going to happen next. Nick Redfern joins us. His new book is Final Events from Anomalous Press. We're going to find out more about what's final about those events in a moment. Chris O'Brien's the co-host. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Paracast. And before we broke for our last section, Chris was about to chime in with a point. Go ahead, please. Well, actually, it was a question. Uh, one of the things that, that never really was clear in reading the book, Nick, is whether the Collins elite actually have come up with the with – the, um, I guess, final conclusion that we're dealing with something that is off-planet 
or if mm-hmm. we're dealing with something that is closed system that is somehow generated by this uh, you know planet we call Earth. Uh, is there some sort of dimensional thing, or do we have a separation? Are these uh, entities coming from elsewhere in uh, in the universe, or you know, I, I never it was never clear. Uh, what no, what are your impressions? A fair, that's a fair point, and I, and I think you know, for people who suggest you know I might have been disinformed, which I, which I cannot deny. You know, I'll be the first. I cannot deny that. Um, I, I think it, had they been trying to disinform me, the story would have been very smooth and every point and aspect would have been covered and answered you know but there were there were certain things where they didn't have full answers now i do know that some of the group particularly in latter days interpreted where these creatures were coming from in very simplistic terms the bad ones were from hell the good ones were from heaven now but there was no attempt to define what heaven and hell were beyond the fact that one's very hot full of some guy with a pitchfork and a, you know, a spiky tail, and the other one's full of fluffy clouds and harps. And it almost was, you know, I'm not trying to, you know, poke fun, <laughs> but it almost was that simplistic. That that's the way some of them viewed it. Now, others were of the view that what the Bible defines as demons may, as I sort of alluded to before the last break, be explainable via things like quantum physics and the idea that extra-dimensional entities and realms could exist, and that perhaps some of them are highly hostile towards the human race and have their own agendas, and that maybe ancient man knew more about these extra-dimensions than we have an awareness of, um, but they didn't really understand them, and they so created mythologies to try and define these realms and dimensions in terms of heaven and hell. So, you know, there seems to have been a degree of variance, if you like, even within the group until the latter years when it just became dumbed down, just dumbed down belief systems that would be sort of on a par with a certain... Well, fundamentalist Christian. Yeah, sort of the the Alaskan angle, as I like to call it. Well, one, one of the things that surprised me is that there was no mention anywhere in the book of looking at this whole scenario, potential scenario, um, which really is is totally immersed in the fundamentalist Christian view the, of, of the Bible, there's no mention of of looking at it from uh, the perspective of the jinn or from uh, possibly Shiva or Kali or mm. some of the other more, um, shall we say, um, um, scary, <laughs> mm-hmm. demonic appearing at yeah. least uh, entities in other in other pantheons in other uh, belief systems around the world. This does seem to be absolutely cut and dried a Christian based uh, view of these phenomenal uh, creatures, events, uh, what have you. And to me, it would seem that if this was a real legitimate um, think tank looking at the possibility of uh, defining what these entities are, that you would have some mention of a cross-cultural or cross-religious sort of viewpoint on this. And I, I, nowhere in the book do I see any mention of any other belief systems uh, trying to be incorporated into this to make it a universal <laughs> or worldwide, if you will, um, sort of theory. Uh, do you have any comments on that, or, or did yeah, you not include that? No, the, no, the first thing I would say to you is I, I actually agree, I agree with you with 100% certainty. You know, this group actively 
was made up of people, in some cases, who actually had preconceived Christian beliefs. Now, what I would, the one place I would kind of argue with you a little bit is I do think in the early days, when they were looking at things like Crowley and Lamb, they had to have been aware, you know, that Crowley wasn't sort of praying to the devil. He was rendering himself into an altered state to try and, you know, manifest these entities. And that's certainly not something that's necessarily taught in biblical teachings. You know, that that's the way to, to contact the devil is by getting higher mescaline or whatever. Um, so I do think in the early days they were open to looking at different angles, but it, it is quite true that there's absolutely no doubt that over time, and possibly from early years, they were dominated by the teachings of the Bible. And although I'm quite sure that they, because I know that I mentioned in one of the chapters, I think it's the chapter title Whistleblowing, they talk about how the group consulted ancient books from the 14 and 1500s, some of which dealt with demonic entities in, in ancient Babylonia, which aren't placed in a Christian context, but they basically concluded that even though other cultures had their belief systems, they were all wrong. It was all just, it was the Christian God versus the, the biblical devil. And although some of these other cultures had experienced these entities and put their own spin on what they were, they were all wrong, and the Collins elite were all right. So basically, if you're Jewish, if you're Muslim, you're not part of this. Well, it, what it means is that if you're of a different belief system, it doesn't mean you're not seeing demons, but your interpretation on what they are, jinns, whatever, tricksters, goblins, is wrong. They're demons from hell. But it doesn't mean they're not the people weren't seeing them. They just denied their belief systems, if you like. Well, that to me is a wobble in, in the, uh, the force, so to speak. I think that there's... No, I agree. Uh, that's why I think they came around to this radical belief system in later years, because the impartial open-mindedness of looking into what I think is actually a very interesting area, the occult links to the UFO phenomenon, was sidetracked by eventually, whether subconsciously, unconsciously, or deliberately, but eventually coming around to the idea that the Christian viewpoint is the only one that has any validity. This is the fight against you know, good and evil is prophesied in the Bible and Revelation, etc. And other cultures may have their theories, they may have experienced them, but they're all completely wrong if they don't adhere literally to what's in the Bible. And that's where I think the impartial open-mindedness was lost and, and you know, it went becoming a biased study to uphold belief systems and then to try and integrate that into society. All right, let's look at some of the other implications here. Okay, what about UFO abductions? Are UFO abductions caused by these demonic creatures too? Well, according to the Collins elite, hell yes. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> um, the, their view is, it's not unique, but it's actually an interesting one. They, they conclude that no one, and I mean literally no one, has ever been abducted aboard a UFO and prodded and poked and had their DNA, egg, sperm, extracted, etc. They believe that every single case of abduction that's occurred has occurred while the person has been rendered into an altered state by these entities. As almost like, I, the best way I can describe it is not where it's like a, a mirage or an hallucination, but they, the group concluded almost like the so-called holodeck on Star Trek, where it was almost like a hallucination or a hologram that you could interact with. 
but it wasn't real. The person, in other words, never left their bedroom, or if they're in the car, you know, they, they were directed to pull the car to the side of the road, and they never left the driver's seat or the passenger seat or whatever. And they believed two things were going on. One was to try and provoke and create in the minds of the entire population around the world, if you like, the idea that alien abductions were the work of, in simple terms, alien scientists or whatever coming to the Earth to take our egg, sperm and DNA because their race is dying and we're genetically compatible. Now, of course, that's the hybrid theory. That's the hybrid humanoid theory that Dr. David Jacobs and others theorizes about. Now, the important thing to realize is whether people agree with this scenario or not. The very fact is today, if you ask people, even if they don't believe in alien abductions, what is the scenario? They say, well, people get kidnapped on board a UFO and they get prodded and poked and have their DNA taken. Everybody does know that meme now, if you like. And so that was the point the group was trying to make, that it was these deceptive entities wanted to en masse, if you like, demonstrate and prove that they were alien in, alien visitors, if you like. And they did so by the abduction meme, but, the, but it was a meme that actually had no reality and didn't serve their purpose in terms of genetics or whatever at all. It was just, it was basically almost like pandering to our logic. This is what we would do if we went to another world. You know, we would capture the animals and prod them and poke them. It was all deception, and we'll have to get into more of that in a moment. Nick Redfern, the book is called Final Events. Co-host is Chris O'Brien. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in... (laughs) The Paracast. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. If you own an Apple iPhone and love to listen to your favorite programs on GCN, I've got good news for you. I'm proud to announce that GCN has a brand new iPhone app available for our dedicated listeners at GCNlive.com. Listen to your favorite hard-hitting GCN programs live or on demand right on your iPhone. And the best part? The GCN iPhone app can be yours absolutely free. Download the iPhone app today by clicking on the banner at GCNlive.com. Again, that's GCNlive.com. We the people grow cotton, weave fabric, engrave ink, embed strips and fibers to protect from counterfeit, and carting to a private bank, having it led back at interest, forcing taxes to service debt. This capitalism, or was Jefferson correct when stating a central bank issuing the public currency is a greater menace to the liberties of the people than a standing army? Ted Anderson, I'm placing a free silver dollar in a book that explains our monetary system. Call for your copy, 800-686-2237. It's time to understand the system. Call 800-686-2237. That's 800-686-2237. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. This is the final hour of the Paracast, and after listening to these two carry on, it may be the final hour forever. We never know. (laughs) Nick Redfern is our guest displaying unheard of talents or non-existent talents, depending on your point of view of how well he does. non-existent talents is better, actually. You like that. Okay, I'll go along with the non-existent talent. Chris O'Brien displaying his non-existent talent. I'm Gene Steinberg with my non-existent talent. You're in the Paracast. Now, as you've been talking for the last couple of hours in the show, Nick, I thought of the show you and I did together the previous week with the author of Mirage Men, where in that case... The actors or offenders are government agents playing this kind of game. 
you know, mm-hmm. abductions, all this other stuff. It's being done by some government authority for whatever secret purpose they have. So do you find any way to separate the two, the Mirage men from the people behind final events? Well, you know, I mean, I'll be the first to admit this is a, a difficult area because, you know, a lot of people, as I mentioned, within ufology are belief-driven and they don't want to believe that they've been deceived. Now, my view is that there's a genuine UFO phenomenon, but I don't know what it is. And so when I hear a story like this, you know, this is why I related the story as it was told to me, because I truthfully cannot say, and it would be reckless and egotistical of me to say that, oh, you know, I wasn't lied to, I wasn't deceived, and this isn't, this is a complete lie, or it's a half-truth, or it's an attempt to steer people away from the ET angle. You know, I don't know. But what I would say is that I think we have to be careful and realize that, you know, we shouldn't treat ufology as a religion, ironically, uh, given the subject matter. But what we should do is be open-minded. And that's what I've tried to be with this story. My, you know, not avoiding the issue. I don't think I was lied to, but can I deny the possibility that there's a bigger picture behind the scenes as to why these people may have spoken to Ray 20 years ago and then what seems to be elements of the same people speaking to me 20 years on after Ray? Could there be another agenda along the lines of Mark Pilkington's Mirage? Yes, there could. I didn't see evidence of it, but that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Equally, it may mean it doesn't exist. You know, we could argue that the whole Mirage Men angle of instilling people with the idea that UFOs exist actually works as a legitimate cover to hide what some might believe is the real demonic angle. You know, it, it could work either of two ways. Or maybe there's another answer, and this is just a case of people swamping and pummeling us with different scenarios to keep us away from a scenario that we haven't even considered yet, which might be the real one. You know, it's... I'm not someone who's trying to, in other words, force feed this theory down people's throats. I'm presenting it because I think it's an interesting piece of ufological history as it relates to government's interest and involvement in the subject. And certainly one that hasn't really been mentioned very much. But just about all the theories of UFOs and religions talk about an end times whether it's 2012 or whatever, we reach the point in our civilization where there have to be drastic changes. And it sounds like this particular organization is leveraging that for their own purposes. Yeah, that's, that's where I have a problem with a lot of religions. I don't care what people believe. You know, I don't care if people believe in the, you know, the, the Christian Bible, if they're Hindus, Muslims, whatever. I, I just don't care. What I could do care about is when belief systems are then used and manipulated to control, whether through fear and guilt, which are two of the main tools of religion, through fear and guilt, to alter the mindset or control people and, and, and worry them and upset them because, you know, they're trying to, I, I guess, mold them and manipulate them. It's almost like a cult-like basis, and, you know, people may say that, well, that's an insult, but I don't think it is. If you're open-minded on religion and you want to find out about it, fine. But if you go to church and you're told, you know, that if you do this or you do that, you're going to burn in hell, that is controlling you through fear. Now, whether the person believes it earnestly or not, partly is irrelevant. You know, you're, you're controlling someone through fear. It's no different than, you know, the, to me at least, the terrible sort of scandal of using the 9-11 tragedy, a, a, a real terrible tragedy, 
and using that, manipulating it to control people through fear, which is there's no doubt the people in the Bush administration did that. You know, it was a terrible event. But what's even worse is exploiting the deaths of all those people as a means to scare the population into, you know, passing the Patriot Act and this has got to be done for our own safety, etc. Yes, you know, you, you need protection, but when, when you start exploiting things, and that's what religion does, religion, unfortunately, for the most part, never stays at just teaching a way of life. It becomes a control factor, and I think that's what's going on with this group. It sounds like they're just trying to control people for this orientation. Let's watch out for those UFOs because they're all demonic. They're here to do us harm rather than help us. Whereas you can say the same thing about the people who say UFOs are benevolent. They're here for good purposes to help protect us from our stupidity, and we should listen to them. Again, it's a controlling mechanism. It doesn't matter what you say, what you believe. It's a controlling mechanism designed to deceive us. And you might as well say this organization could be government disinformation as well. Yeah, it could be. And I mean, you know, the, the frustrating thing I understand for the listeners may be the fact that I cannot come to a firm conclusion. You know, there are people who tell you aliens crashed at Roswell and this is why. But at the end of the day, it still has to be a belief system based upon a study of the evidence. But, you know, I feel a responsibility to only say what I can say for certain when I know something for certain. All I know for sure is this group existed and came to this conclusion. Whether or not the group was right, that's a very different matter. And I know it's certainly not right to try and alter the mindset of whole swathes of the population through fear, control and guilt um, to get them come to, to their viewpoint when there's naturally no hard evidence that we know at least that that viewpoint extends beyond a belief system. So how in the end do you even find out what the real answer is? What's the cause behind UFOs and other paranormal events? Or oh. even if they're related, if you have all this nonsense lurking forth? Well, I think that's, I mean, that's the difficult thing. That's why we don't have the answer, because the, the phenomenon doesn't behave in the ways that we might expect or want it to. It doesn't try, you know, we don't have huge UFOs coming over... L.A. or, you know, Chicago or whatever and blasting skyscrapers off the ground. But equally, we don't have President Obama leaving the White House and shaking hands with an E.T. on the front lawn. None of that has ever happened. In other words, and you see this throughout history with all these archetypal things, whether it's gins, goblins, whatever, they're always hiding from society, but they interact with us. And they seem to have like a need to interact with us. It's almost like they need us as much as we need them, but we don't understand why. Maybe we're just not seeing the bigger picture. Now, the bigger picture, as far as the Collins elite was concerned, or probably is concerned, is probably the, one of the most disturbing aspects of the book. They have an answer as to, or a reason, or a theory, if you like, however you want to term it, as to why, you know, we've never had that definitive landing on the White House lawn, but equally, they've never tried to destroy us. Their conclusion is that the Earth itself is essentially a farm and that the human race are cattle and they believe that the human race are the only living creatures on the planet that have souls they also believe that these entities these demonic entities don't want us to destroy ourselves they actually want us to keep populating and creating more and more of us because they believe that on upon our death the, the the group i mean not the demon the group believes that upon our deaths what happens is that these entities essentially harvest human souls for a, a poorly, admit, admittedly poorly understood 
life source or energy source that these entities feed upon. So in other words, the earth is a farm, we're the cattle, but we don't see the bigger picture until we die. And when we die, that's when, I guess, we go to the slaughterhouse and they take our souls. And it's along the lines of, although I don't mention this in the book, but it's act, the best way I can describe it for people who've seen the Matrix movie, where, you know, everybody's living in this kind of like um, virtual reality world, not realizing that there's this other realm of existence where there's these endless, you know, bodies just in storage being used as an energy source. As they batteries, yeah. Yeah, yeah. we'll have to get into that in a moment. We'll have to explore the matrix factor. Nick Redfern joining us, the author of the book called Final Events. Chris O'Brien's the co-host. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Paracast. Hey, neighbors, ever thought about creating a website? With HostGator, you can create your own website with your very own .com domain name. HostGator has a free site builder and thousands of design templates to create your website today. Whether you want to create a blog, a photo gallery, a family page, or a website for your business, HostGator has the right plan for you, starting at less than 5 bucks a month for ultra-reliable website hosting with 99.9% uptime and true 24x7 live support available by phone, chat, or email and based right here in the U.S. Don't be left without a website. It's more affordable and easier than you think. Sign up at technightowl.com slash gator, that's G-A-T-O-R, to get the lowest possible price. At HostGator, that's technightowl.com slash gator to get a special deal on all their web hosting services. Gold. If you listen to the radio, watch TV, or surf the net, you're hearing about gold. Eventually you will ask yourself, is gold right for me? The answer might surprise you. We protect ourselves and our families from many things. Do you have medical insurance? Is your home insured? Do you carry life insurance? How about financial insurance? If you own gold, then the answer is yes. If you don't own gold, the question is why don't you have financial insurance? We put our faith in things we trust. Do you trust the dollar? Do you trust the economy? Do you trust the government? Gold has always been something you can trust. For thousands of years, people have put their faith in gold. Where will you put your faith? Now is the time to protect yourself and your family. Call Midas Resources today at 1-800-686-2237, extension 242. 1-800-686-2237, extension 242. And ask for Jim Parker. Let me help you get started today. 1-800-686-2237, extension 242. I'm concerned about food for my family in the event of an emergency, and I know you are too. Are you ready? Don't wait for an emergency to happen. Put a plan together now with quality dehydrated food from Ready Reserve Foods. For nearly 40 years, Ready Reserve Foods has been in continuous operation canning the finest in dehydrated foods. Other companies just broker canned foods. Ready Reserve is the manufacturer controlling quality from start to finish with double enameled cans and nitrogen packing for maximum shelf life. Ready Reserve offers a balanced selection of fruits, vegetables, dairy products, proteins, and grains. Choose from a variety of pre-selected units or order by individual can to customize your own plan. When you purchase from Ready Reserve Foods, you are buying factory direct at wholesale prices. Call today for a free catalog, 1-800-453-2201. 
2202 or visit readyreservefoods.com. Call 1-800-453-2202. Ready Reserve Foods. Factory Direct Wholesale Pricing. Question. What would you rather drink? Acidic water which burns holes in your body and causes loss of bone mass or alkaline water which promotes high energy and vibrant health? The answer is clear. And if you're drinking acidic water, you're helping cancer cells and bacteria to grow out of control. AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops combine a unique formula of the most alkaline minerals. Using Plasma pH Drops is the best way to alkalize your water and help you get rid of acid and regain your health and energy. Simply put 10 drops in the water you drink to raise the pH to a healthy alkaline level. Most experts agree that the water you drink should be at a pH level of 8 or higher. Disease organisms like bacteria, viruses, or cancer cannot survive in an alkaline high pH environment. Order your bottle of AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops now by going directly to AlkaVision.com. That's A-L-K-A-Vision.com. Or by calling 269-409-1776. Again, 269-409-1776. Tired of searching for great talk radio? Search no more. It's good stuff. We are the GCN Radio Network. Genesis. Genesis. We want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. Get in on all the action at forum.theparacast.com. We're talking to Nick Redfern, who's also one of our co-hosts and a very prolific author of all things paranormal. The book is called Final Events and the Secret Government Group on Demonic UFOs and the Afterlife. Chris O'Brien's the co-host. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Paracast. Nick, um, before we get too far ahead of ourselves in terms of really getting into why you named this book Final Events, um, why don't you give us a, give our listeners a little bit of some background on Operation Often and Sidney Gottlieb and the Army Chemical Corps and Richard Helms and some of the uh, interesting projects uh, that somehow were dovetailed into the uh, so-called Collins elites, I guess, view of, uh, you know, the agenda of these uh, demonic entities. Yeah, I mean, this is the important thing, is that although the existence of the, the Collins elite hasn't been officially confirmed, the, there's absolutely no doubt that elements of the official world, particularly in the intelligence community, have delved very, very deeply into the realm of the occult. Now, we know this through one verifiable project that became known as Operation Often, which began in the late 1960s and existed at least through the early 1970s. And a number of people I interviewed for the book told me quite openly that there had been liaison between Operation Often and the Collins Elite. But essentially what happened was that Sidney Gottlieb, who was a, sort of an early player in things like the CIA's MK Ultra project in the 1950s, you know, looking at controlling and manipulating the human mind on behalf of the CIA. This man, Sidney Gottlieb, basically somebody, he had a PhD in chemistry from the California Institute of Technology, Caltech, and a master's degree in speech therapy. And in 1951, he was offered the position as head of the chemical division of the CIA's technical services staff. This focused on two areas, one, the development of lethal poison, the other, manipulating and harnessing the human brain, you know, in what, in simple terms, you would call mind control. Um, and he became known as the black sorcerer. What happened was that post-MKUltra, 
Scott Lee got involved with this project called Operation Often. This was really a study of the occult, not just to determine what the truth was behind the occult, but, you know, inevitably being the CIA, it was to determine if there were any sort of espionage offshoots that could be developed from the occult. You know, they were thinking along similar lines to the whole thing with remote viewing. You know, the idea of using, for example, Ouija board. You know, can we, con literally, they were thinking, can we contact dead CIA agents and use their souls to spy on filing cabinets in the Kremlin? I mean, that was literally one of the areas that was discussed. Yeah, these are your tax dollars, folks. Yeah, exactly. You know, you imagine guys in the CIA, you know, to be almost like James Bond types or analysts who are behind a desk all day just thumbing through intelligence reports. You don't imagine them sitting around a table with candles at midnight trying to contact John Smith, the CIA agent for in analyst in Russia or in Moscow who died of a heart attack suddenly six weeks ago. And they're trying to contact him to say, dispatch your soul to the Kremlin and tell us what you see. And then, you know, <laughs> feed the results back through by spelling it out on the Ouija board. That is quite literally what Operation Often did. And they consulted palmists, clairvoyants, demonologists, mediums, all with a view to try and extend the ability of the USS overseas espionage programs. So in other words, you know, they, they were deeply involved in occult issues. And the story I got was that not on many occasions, maybe two or three, there were sort of crossovers between the whole issue of demonology as it related to Operation Often and demonology and UFOs as it related to the Collins elite and the two shared data, etc. and possibly had some sort of interagency liaison for a very short period of time but again operation off it was kind of like the collins elite in the sense that you know it wasn't an agency with its own building it was people inside the cia that were contracted to work on it and who had some interest in these areas and were asked to prepare reports and results etc why don't you talk about uh, a very crucial event that occurred uh, in the early 70s where quite a famous and renowned and publicly uh uh, visible um, witch, if you were, uh, if you will, um, Sybil Lee did a uh, a channeling that came up with some pretty interesting information that evidently really affected the thinking of the uh, the Collins elite. Yeah, th this revolves around a woman named Sybil Leake. Now, Sybil Leake essentially was a, a witch, a sorceress, astrologer, psychic, and she actually wrote more than 60 books, originally from England and then moved to the US, and she was even dubbed by the BBC as Britain's most famous witch. That's a, literally a, a direct, accurate quote. And wow. what's interesting is that she was also acquainted with none other than Alistair Crowley, who would actually visit the, the Leake family Family. And um, Crowley, what a lot of people don't know, wrote his own poetry. And when Sybil Lee was a little girl, Crowley would come visit him and, and read his poetry to her, which is kind oh, of a bummer. What a babysitter. Scenario. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of a pretty unique scenario. Of, you know, the babysitter comes over and, oh, it's Alistair Crowley. He's going to read some of his poems to you. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's sort of a bizarre scenario. But that is what happened. And again, this was something that the Crowley link made the group want to approach Sybil Leake. Now, Sybil Leake 
as I said, was someone who was deeply involved in witchcraft and I guess like the traditions of centuries past the Middle Ages, you know, and folklore mythology very much steeped in, in this whole scenario, like the ancient witches of, of times past, things like that. You know, they wanted to get her views on the whole angle of demonology related to UFOs. Now, it is a verifiable fact that Civil League was approached by people from the CIA's operation often. That, that can be proven. That, that is borne out by the Freedom of Information Act. What isn't borne out is whether or not she approached or she was approached by the Collins elite. But the fact that she was approached by one group in government investigating the occult actually makes it more likely that you know, this other aspect of the story is true. But the story was that she was basically, you know, asked questions about her views on the occult, what was going on in the U.S. in terms of the occult world, you know, to what extent was it growing, you know, was there a burgeoning interest in witchcraft and things like this and, and paranormal issues. And according to the group, and again, this is one aspect that obviously isn't verified, otherwise we'd know about it, that reportedly at some point in 72, it was in September, she went into literally like a, a trance-like state. And during this trance-like state, reportedly called some sort of demonic entity that called itself Kaxulicom, which essentially spouted the same story that the Collins elite was rapidly coming to, the idea that the Earth was a farm and that we were being farmed for like the human life force. And when questions were asked, why if this entity was one of these very entities, why would it reveal the, the secret? You know, why would it blow the lead on what these entities are actually up to? And the conclusion was that it was sort of like a hatred of the human race and ego that had made it overstep the mark. But it was, there's no doubt that according to the group at least, that it was this revelation, this sort of farm-based revelation, reaping of souls, that really was the tipping point when they went from just realizing that these things were meddling with us, that they could actually have been ever since the human race has existed, just farming us. And, and we just don't see the bigger picture. We just think, you know, when we die, if you're an atheist, you know, you believe you just die. If, you, if you're a Christian, you believe you go to heaven or hell or, you know, whatever the teachings of other religions are. But nobody realized that we're essentially like a factory. Our guest is Nick Redfern. The book is Final Events. The co-host is Chris O'Brien. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in The Paracast. <laughs> Is there a secret UFO agenda? Do strange creatures from the darkest corners of the mind roam the earth? Is there evidence for mind control, time travel, or devious government conspiracies? Find out the inside scoop on the latest conspiracies, paranormal activity, and Freudian phenomena when you subscribe to Tim Beckley's Conspiracy Journal. It's jam-packed with stories, special book and DVD promotions, and the best news, it's absolutely free, sent right to your mailbox. Plus, a bonus free email newsletter sent out every Friday. Simply send an email with your name and address to MrUFO at WebTV.net. That's MrUFO at WebTV.net. Find out what they don't want you to know. Uh-huh. 
to ship a vehicle safely from point A to point B, which company should you choose? Easy. Stateway Auto Transport. Why trust Patriot-owned Stateway Auto Transport? Many reasons. Stateway is not just a broker, but a fully licensed and bonded carrier with its own fleet of trucks and $1 million of cargo coverage insurance. With Stateway, your vehicle rides safely on a direct route on the same truck, and your shipment is always door-to-door with no hidden fees. And every shipment includes free online vehicle tracking. Simply put, Stateway Auto Transport is the best, most efficient, quickest, and friendliest worldwide shipper in the business. To receive a free quote from a live customer service representative, call 877-848-7474 or see us online at statewayauto.com. That's statewayauto.com or call 877-848-7474. Ask about discounts for seniors, military, and all GCN listeners. Stateway Auto Transport, your one-stop shop for worldwide vehicle transport. If you owe money to the IRS, you can't make the problem go away by yourself. But with the help of Dan Pilla, you can get your problem solved once and for all. Hi, I'm Dan Pilla. For 30 years, I've helped thousands of people solve their tax debt problem, and I can help you solve yours, too. We take a very simple but proven three-step approach to solving your problem. First, we stabilize IRS collection actions so you don't have to worry about the IRS seizing your bank account or paycheck. Next, we build a comprehensive plan to get your tax debt reduced to the fullest extent possible, sometimes even completely eliminated. And finally, we work with you every step of the way to get your problem solved once and for all. Call us for a free consultation. Call 1-800-346-6829. We'll work together to get your problem solved guaranteed. Dan Pilla has been protecting taxpayers from the IRS for three decades, and he can help you too. Call us today at 800 346-6829. That's 800-34-NO-TAX. In a coming apart world, you need something to keep it tied together. That something is Atwood Rope, the highest quality rope made in the USA from exotic braids for military, rescue, arborists, boating, tow line, shipyard, or decoration. Quality rope at affordable prices you and your customers can depend on. Find a dealer or shop online at atwoodrope.net. Enter promo code RADIO to receive a free 100 feet of 550 paracord. Atwood Rope, working to keep the world tied together. We the people grow cotton, weave fabric, engrave ink, embed strips and fibers to protect from counterfeit and carting to a private bank, having it led back at interest, forcing taxes to service debt. This capitalism, or was Jefferson correct when stating a central bank issuing the public currency is a greater menace to the liberties of the people than a standing army? Hi, Ted Anderson. I'm placing a silver dollar in a book explains our monetary system. Call for your copy, 800-686-2237. It's time to understand the system. Call 800-686-2237. That's 800-686-2237. The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. You guys are awesome. I love this station. I really do. GCN. This is the Paracast. You never know what's going to happen next. Yes, we now have uh, the insane laughter of Nick Redfern <laughs> to regale us for the rest of our lives as he takes over our consciousness. Nick, you, you frightened me, dude. Final event. Your final event is my life. This is Nick's final event. The book is called Final Events. The co-host is Chris O'Brien. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the PowerCast. Two more segments with Nick. Now, 
Chris, you were focusing on some really significant areas about this theory. So why don't you take over there? Well, it, it just Gene, uh, both Gene and Nick, uh, this is really fascinating to me that in September 1972, a project called uh, Operation Often should hire um, England's most famous witch to do a channeling session. She channels a disincarnate entity, and this has such an amazing amount of impact on their thinking in that it, it, this is almost like the, uh, the period at the end of the sentence here. Uh, I think basically, uh, you know, going through your book, this was a real departure point in terms of, of them discounting any other scenarios. This is where they really decided that, hey, we are dealing with demonic entities that are here and then eventually they developed the whole uh, concept uh, or solidified the whole concept of the harvesting of souls. And what are your, your feelings about this? I mean, uh, does this make sense to you? Uh, do you see a progression of events that would somehow legitimize this decision on their part? Uh, what do you, what, what's your thinking on this? Well, well, my view is that, you know, unfortunately, I'll be the first to admit that given the fact that this group if the story is true, has existed for at least 60 years, I would imagine there has been a large membership. You know, it could be, I don't know, I mean, I'd have to, I'd admittedly speculate, you know, it could be 20, it could have been 100 over the course of 60 years. It, and with outside consultants, which seems to have been done with people like Sybil Leake, you know, we could be talking hundreds of people who've had some sort of input. Now, I interviewed about 11 people, only about seven from the group who were willing to be quoted. So in other words, what I mean is the point I'm coming to is I don't know to what extent they have additional data that allowed them to so clearly and concisely come to one particular viewpoint. But my view is that I do agree with them on several points. I do agree that the phenomenon, the phenomenon if you like, is, is trickster-based, that it kind of tantalizes us and leaves us dangling on a string, so to speak. It manipulates us. It seems to change as society changes and as our technology changes. It's always just one step ahead. You know, when we were developing air balloons and balloons in the 19th century, people saw phantom airships. Then it was Foo Fighters, then ghost rockets, then flying saucers, then flying triangles. You know, we had the contactees. Then we had, you know, the, the greys. It's like the phenomenon's forever changing, and that's where I agree with them as well. I, um, where I disagree with them is unless somebody has hard definitive evidence that we don't know about, categorizing it as definitively this and not allowing for any other possibilities is just losing the plot. You know, it's, it's losing track of keeping an open mind, but not a really open mind to where it's full of nothing but belief systems. Well, it sounds uh, disingenuous to put all your chips on one card, so to speak. Well, well, Nick. But unfortunately, religious religion does that often. People just won't accept the you idea think? that anything. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you see people in government today. I mean, look at people. You know, certain people who run for government. You ask them what they think about the Bible. They interpret it literally, and there is no place for argument. There are people in the, the whole teabagging thing now who think the Earth was created six thousand years ago, which is the most absurd nonsense I've ever heard. But they believe that with absolute utter reality because it's what they're told. There's, there's that they allow for no, for no leeway either way. It's like we're in the new dark ages. But it, it is. It's the dumbing down of society. 
and the more you dumb people down, the more these people have power. And you know, I have and to also, say, the more you dumb people down, they're in less control. That allows a situation to occur where someone can gain control because nobody's paying attention. People are believing total nonsense. And then the real evildoers, whoever they might be, can just come in and do their thing. Yeah, I agree. And I think this, this is a scary part. You know, people say, oh, well, there's no way the government could ever take control and do this. But if everybody is, you know, I don't mean this disrespectfully, a fat diabetic watching reality TV and believing the Earth was created 6,000 years ago, the government doesn't need to take control because the whole issue of standing up for yourself, protesting and you know, making a statement when the government does something you don't agree with is gone if people can't e don't even have the energy to walk to the end of the street. And the problem also is so many people get involved in wedge issues. You know, things that have yes. nothing to do, like we say, the biggest problem we have in society today, the state of the economy around the world. People can't get jobs. They can't support themselves. So we worry about gay marriage. We worry about gays in the military. We worry about Britney social Spears security. We're Lindsay worried about Lohan. Sure, Lindsay Lohan, Britney Spears. Who cares about these girls? What is so important about them? They're not great performers, Paris Hilton's a great actress. Lindsay Lohan, I guess, she was able to act Paris at one time. But who cares? Paris made one good film. You know, sure, one good film. Okay. But who cares <laughs> about these people? Why do we waste our time worrying about well, whether Mel Gibson yells at his girlfriend? Because he'd be yeah, one no, of I millions agree. of people who yell at their spouse or a significant other. What's the big deal? Why yeah, do we, we have, worry about wedges? Then we have the Paracast. We have the Paracast. It is a beacon of elucidated open-mindedness. Wow. <laughs> Can I quote you? No. I, <laughs> no. Uh, but sure. No, I actually agree with everything you've said. You know, I, you're quite right. I think the scary thing is that, you know, it's like that the old adage, what is it, that bad things happen because good people do nothing to stop it. Well, you know, if, you're, if a society is becoming more... You know, the big difference I see, like when I go back home to England, is that 7 o'clock at night, 8 o'clock at night, you see everybody's got the, the blinds up, hanging out with the neighbours. Kids, seven-year-old kids are riding the bikes around town at 8 o'clock. You don't see any, you know, I'm looking out my window right now. Everybody's blinds are down. You see no one. If you see a neighbour, they look the other way. You know, it's just bizarre. It's like the, the society's becoming an enclo enclosed society. And when that happens... And people aren't getting uptight about things that are going on and demonstrating and complaining. The government doesn't have to do much to control people through fear because nobody's doing anything to stop it. You know, they're more concerned not about weapons of mass destruction. They're more concerned about who's going to get voted off the latest dancing show. And when that happens, <laughs> they've won. You know, they've when I was a won. kid, you know, back in the old days before everybody was born on the show. When I was a kid, I used to be able to go to my friend's house, and when I knocked on the door, the door was probably open. Mm. And it wasn't a situation where you had 19 different locks, deadbolt locks and burglar alarms. You didn't need that. You didn't need to have all that protection because people behave themselves. Now, you know, where I live now, I have a burglar alarm. I set the alarm before we leave the place. We have the multiple locks. We have everything we have to be paranoid because it's a dangerous world out there. We've been taught to fear. Yeah. 
Well, that, that's the thing. Fear is, is the greatest control factor of all. You know, there's no doubt about that. When you tell people that government tells them, unless you do what we say, you're going to be nuked by some enemy, they'll go along with it. You know, there's, there's absolutely no doubt about that. It's like today, you go to an airport in the US, everybody unconsciously, without thinking about it, takes their shoes off because of one person who tried to blow up a plane with a shoe bomb. Well, you know, we had someone else who put a bomb in his crotch. What's going to happen next? It's going to get pretty crazy. Full body scans. Oh, boy. We don't want to get into full body scans. We want to get into the book that Nick Redfern wrote called Final Events and the Secret Government Group on Demonic UFOs and the Afterlife. Our co-host is Chris O'Brien. We just know that lots of you are going to be commenting about this week's show on our forums. Check forum.paracast.com. That's forum.paracast.com. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Paracast. Ho, ho. Are you ready to order the official Paracast t-shirt? You asked, we answered. We're now taking orders for the official Paracast t-shirt. It comes in white, 100% cotton. The front of it features the same logo that we have on our community forums. On the back it says, separating signal from noise. To order the official Paracast t-shirt, here's all you have to do. Visit our new online store at store.theparacast.com. One more time, that's store.theparacast.com. You can use a major credit card to place your order for the official Paracast t-shirt. Hey, neighbors, we have one more thing to talk about, and that's more merchandise at the official Paracast store. We have hats, we have jackets, we even have a flip video camcorder customized with the Paracast logo at the official Paracast store. It's all now available at the official Paracast store, store store.theparacast.com. What is a wind generator? How can the wind produce power for a small cabin? How can wind energy be stored and used during an emergency? Can I assemble my own wind generator? For answers to questions about wind power, visit windbluepower.com. Did you know the wind could provide your family with emergency power? It can with a wind generator from windbluepower.com. Learn how our amazing LightBreeze wind generator kits start charging a 12-volt battery and just 6 mile per hour wind. Or see the new Cyclone X2 dual kit featuring two wind generators on just one tower. And learn why schools and universities across the country utilize our products to teach about wind power and alternative energy at windbluepower.com. All kits qualify for a 30% IRS tax credit for residential energy efficient property. Enter coupon code RADIO for a 5% discount at windbluepower.com. That's windbluepower.com or call 800-976-0026. That's 800-976-0026. All types of batteries for all types of gadgets. We'll say it again. All types of batteries for all types of gadgets. Electronics, toys, flashlights, computers, accessories, and more are at BatteryStation.com. Whatever type battery you need, alkaline, lithium, gel cell, NICAT, metal hydride, sealed lead acid, and more are at BatteryStation.com. Our homepage gives you quick access to ham, marine, police, fire, and aviation batteries. Plus, choose from our great selection of LED flashlights with no bulb to ever burn out and much longer battery life. Find many top brands, including Streamlight, 
Pelican, Surefire, Novatac, Gerber, and more at BatteryStation.com. You'll also find the most popular brands of ammunition and watertight cases for storing guns, food, electronics, survival gear, and more at BatteryStation.com. Call 417-257-7799. That's 417-257-7799. You will be surprised when you visit BatteryStation.com. Attention gun owners. You're into guns and many people you know are into guns. Well, someone needs to maintain, clean, and repair those guns, and it could be you. Now get a free how-to gunsmith DVD sampler from AGI, the American Gunsmithing Institute. Learn the art of professional gunsmithing as a part or full-time career. Develop a lucrative business by learning the art of gunsmithing through over 71 exclusive DVD training courses. Get started today by ordering our free DVD sampler video and catalog at AmericanGunsmithDVD.com. See how to quickly learn firearm disassembly, reassembly, accurizing, customizing, super tuning, refinishing, trigger repair, and much more for rifles, pistols, and shotguns. To order your free DVD sampler and catalog, call 800-367-9792 or go to AmericanGunsmithDVD.com. Ask about a bonus $10 savings coupon when you call 800-367-9792 or go to AmericanGunsmithDVD.com. Learn how. Learn now with AmericanGunsmithDVD.com. Tired of searching for great talk radio? Search no more. I'm told that it has everything. We are the GCN Radio Network. This is Philip Rogno. You're listening to Paracast, one of the most informative shows out there. So listen closely. We have one more session to spend with Nick Redfern. The book is Final Events. The co-host is Chris O'Brien. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Paracast. Before we broke for our station break, Nick, you were about to say something, and I didn't want to interrupt you, but here's your time. Yeah, no, I was just saying more than anything else that, you know, when... When we talk about this issue of people, although it's not directly related to final events, you know, everybody goes to the airport, unconsciously takes their shoes off. This is one event that has, I guess, altered the entire mindset of the entire population where you don't have to order people to take their shoes off. They just do it. In other words, a perceived threat or a real threat and the fear of what could happen provokes everybody to unconsciously take their shoes off at an airport. So in other words something on a larger scale could easily influence everybody because that event influences everybody who now gets on a plane in the United States. You know, well, you know complicit in that, though, of course, is the news media because they yeah. basically blast us to the skies 24-7, and I'm not going to blame the left-wing media or the right-wing media no. or the middle-of-the-road media. They all do it. They're all looking for headlines. They're all looking for circulation, ratings, whatever. And mm-hmm. any of these singular events starts a whole avalanche of coverage. So, for example, we're used to the full body scans now. What's going to happen next? Well, we have the Patriot Act in the USA, which allows them to tap our phones and to do this, mm-hmm. that, and the other oh. thing. We're about ready to allow the President of the United States to turn off the Internet because of a perceived threat. Yeah, well, I mean, this, this is the thing. All of this will go ahead unless people stand up and say this isn't going to happen but it requires people to do that you know it's like today on the one hand if you look at the demonstrations that have gone on in the past in the united states civil rights and things like that you just don't get on this scale anymore because everybody's too busy watching the latest reality show or they're just too unhealthy to actually make the walk 
literally, and I'm not, you know, I'm not just saying that literally unhealthy do it. Um, and so what happens is that those people who could provoke the change are unable to do so. And You also have that, people who have demonstrations or stage events where all they're doing is selling tickets or selling themselves. We had somebody, for example, we know who that guy is, a former radio shock jock, very popular on TV, brings nearly 100,000 people to the Capitol to do what? To proclaim himself as the messenger of God. Well, the other thing, of course, which mm. is actually, even I have to say, has worked tragically very well, is that there's almost this belief system now in the U.S. that if you complain about what the government's doing, you're somehow unpatriotic. You know, you see this everywhere. You know, somebody complains about, you know, the war in Iraq. What are you? You know, are you a terrorist? Well, no, I just don't. You know, somebody might say, well, no, I'm not a terrorist. I just don't believe in the war in Iraq. You know, when people were complaining and demonstrating against the Vietnam War, people understood that they had a different point of view. But today, there's this sort of, again, like a meme has spread throughout society. If you're against what, particularly in the Bush administration, if you're against what they're doing, there's something sinister about you. You know, what's wrong with you? Are you for the enemy or something? And no, you're not. You just realize that there are things going on that shouldn't be going on. And I think this is almost like ingeniously and tragically worked very well. The idea that if you dare stand up and protest, you should be investigated by the Department of Homeland Security. There seems to be this almost unconscious acceptance now. If you demonstrate against the government you're right for investigation by the Department of Homeland Security because you're saying something that isn't necessarily in keeping with what the government wishes to instill. And, you know, to me, that's wrong. Governments allegedly are still elected, and if we don't like what they're doing, we should have a right to say so, and we shouldn't be viewed as sinister people. I mean, we only have to look just recently when... You know, in one particular state, I won't get into all names and places, but where people who were in animal rights groups and things like this, um, or just, you know, animal welfare groups, were basically being looked at by the Department of Homeland Security. You know, it's gone to extremist levels because, no, en masse, people aren't trying to stop it. Because It's a brave new world, Nick. It's a brave new world. Or 1984 has come 26 years late. Well, I'd actually say it's a grave new world, not a brave new world. <laughs> grave <laughs> new world. Hey, it sounds like the title for your uh, fifth book this year. <laughs> well, as a matter of fact, right now he's writing the outline. He's going to submit it to his various publishers, actually, and that's you know, going to happen. I say that because I've just been looking while we've been talking at some of the forums, and somebody said words to the effect that they didn't feel I'd done a good job of researching this fully because I put out so many books at once and so how can how can Nick Redfern you know, accurately do an in-depth investigation when he's writing all this at once? What a lot of people and the person who wrote that may not realize is the fact that, you know... You've been working on it for eight years. Well, yeah, I mean, this book there was five years in the writing but the reason it's just coincidence that it's come out, because this one was published by Anomalous Book. My previous book, Contactees, was published by New Page Books last December. And I had a book called Masters of Texas published in June by an English company called CFC Press. In other words, these books weren't all written at the same time with me, you know, burning the midnight oil trying to crank out three books. It was three different publishers having had the books for quite a while coincidentally putting them out all at the same time. So, you know, it's not a case of me racing through the research. The publication date is not dictated by me. You know, 
uh, final events, I began narrating five years ago, and the research five years ago, and it's just been published. But the Monsters of Texas book, the writing on that was finished ages ago, but it's just coincidence that the two different publishers put them out at the same time. So it looks like I've cranked them both out together, which actually isn't the case. It also might be, I assume, if you're like me, when I was doing a lot of books, I'd be doing different projects at the same time. I'd work when I needed to on one particular project. I'd set it aside. Yeah. I'd get to yeah. something else when I got more information. Now, in my case, when I was writing computer books, it's an assembly line situation. It's not where you sit down and you research something, and if you get it out a year later, that's okay. Maybe you don't get paid until a year later, but that's it. Yeah. With a computer book, it has to be out in six weeks, or you don't get paid at all. Mm-hmm. No, that's right. Mm-hmm. We only have a uh-huh. moment or two left here. So in the last minute or so that we can spend with you, Nick Redfern, what should we take away from the book Final Events? Well, I think we should take several things. One being that it dem- the, the book and the group, the Collins Elite, demonstrate that belief is a powerful thing. It demonstrates that belief in the right hands or the wrong hands can have a, you know, a, an extreme influence on people, potentially on all society you know, depending on how it's coordinated, etc. I think it also tells us a great deal about the true nature of the UFO phenomenon in the sense that because it is so elusive and seems to have no real interest in communing with us on a one-to-one open basis, it provokes different belief systems because you're trying to grasp what's going on because the phenomenon isn't telling us. I think that's those are all important factors. And I think also... It demonstrates that even within governments, you know, people can become obsessed within a, within a particular scenario, which then oversteps the mark where they may wish to instill that belief system in other people. And, you know, regardless of whether it's this or any other subject, being only to meet your right about something when the phenomenon is overwhelmingly mysterious and then trying to force feed that video on other people is something we should be wary of. And I hope people will read the book and and find it interesting and find it interesting that the government would fund something like this, but equally re- they would realize that we should be open-minded. And I, and I think it's a pitfall that we can learn from. Nick, where do we find more of the things that you write about? Well, the best place actually people interested in the book, I've got a book for the book. It's called, uh, well, the, the title, or the, the link is HTTP colon slash slash eventsfinal.blogspot.com Okay, Chris O'Brien, where do we find more of your stuff? Well, uh, I'll be at um, my usual location, ourstrangeplanet.com. It is a strange planet. It's our strange planet. And I want to, uh, you know, salute um, our guest today and and co-host Nick Redfern. You are truly an inspiration to uh, open-minded individuals who are looking outside of the box. And I really thank, uh, thank you for writing this book and being here today. Nick Redfern, Chris O'Brien, thank you both for being out of the box this week on the Paracast. Cool. Thanks, guys. Thank you again, gentlemen. Next week, our co-host will be Christopher O'Brien, and we've got an exciting set of topics for you to listen to on the Paracast. The Paracast is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Tune in next week for a new adventure in The Paracast. Paracast.